show. It's uncut. It's unfiltered. This is the show of shows. This is the biggest names in drag racing. No holds barred. Speaking his mind. I've never had a problem expressing my opinions, but what we're doing here is bigger than that. These are conversations that need to be had in an unfiltered way. Exploring hot topics. Drag racing is all I've ever done. It's all I care to do. And spreading the gospel of drag racing. I respect the history. I appreciate how far we've come, but I want more for this sport, and I'll fight for it. This is the great American motorsport, drag racing. The West Buck Show starts in three, two, one. Hey gang, Wes Buck here, Drag Illustrated Magazine, checking in. It is Wednesday, October 27th, 2021. Man, uh, what a show we've got for you guys today. We've got some incredible guests lined up. Before we talk about that, though, I do, like always, I want to thank you. Your being here makes all the difference in the world. If we didn't have you guys joining us to talk drag racing, you guys and gals from all walks of the drag racing life, from here in the United States, all around the world, if we didn't have you, this would be way way less fun. I don't really know how, how else to put it. It would be way less enjoyable for us. I, I speak on behalf of everybody at Drag Illustrated, our whole team here, Murder Tundra, Mike Carpenter. If we don't have the engagement from you, it's not near as much fun. So please check in. Let us know where you're watching from. Let us know where you're tuning in from. Maybe let us know where you're headed this weekend. I'm sure, of course, you're watching the West Buck Show. You're headed to the Drag Strip this weekend. Whether you're going to the NHRA National Event in Las Vegas, getting ready for the SEMA Show, no matter where you fit in, let us know where you're headed. Let us know what you got going on. We, we love to have you. So also, remember, click like, click share, subscribe to the YouTube channel. This stuff makes so much difference, such a difference to us. We will, at 3.30 Central Standard Time, be joined by, it's kind of hard to say out loud, it's unbelievable, Brittany Force. So cool to have one of the biggest stars the sport of drag racing has to offer joining us to, to chat with you guys. We talk about it all the time, unfiltered, candid, real casual conversations between real people that care about the sport of in, uh, the sport of drag racing such a powerful platform at four o'clock central standard time we'll be joined by nitrous and kind of super tuner extraordinaire jeff pierce fresh off a of back-to-back midwest drag racing series world championships uh big time tuner that's got great opinion great insight can't wait to pick his brain a little bit and of course at the end of the show we will take questions from you guys so please don't hesitate at all. If you've got something you want to talk about, you got something that you think we should be uh, we should be touching on, throw it in the comments. You never know. We really do try hard to to talk about or at least answer, address any questions uh, that that you guys might have for us. So, without any uh, further ado, though, let me go ahead and introduce my co-hosts here on the West Buck Show, the one and only Mike Carpenter and JT Murder Tundra Hudson. What's going on, What's guys? Up? Oh, man. Oh, dude, did you see this comment right away? Andy Cowan, UK watching. Hell, the Russian is coming to Vegas Pro Mod. This is a great story, and I actually got an email about this today, and uh, I actually don't have a graphic queued up for it. Let me find this email real quick because Luke, my buddy Luke Robinson over across the pond, I've known this young man for a long time. I, we're like, I think we're about the same age. My dad used to buy parts off his dad, Andy Robinson race cars over in London, uh, a legend kind of, over there. A legend. I mean, yeah, over he's there, like absolutely. the pro mod legend over in the UK, in my opinion. Yeah, here's this email. Hey, Wes, how's it going? Hello from England. Where's it at? Uh, da, da, da. On that note, please check out Dmitry Samakarov from Russia, who is making his NHRA pro mod debut this coming weekend in Las Vegas. This guy is one of our own. He raced in the FIA in 2019, nearly burnt his car to the ground at the first round event and was so cool. He just calmly got out, 
hung his steering wheel up and walked away from the car while it was still still burning. I think that's Great. a prerequisite for racing over there. How many? I think I, it's a prerequisite I, I just, for yeah. being a Russian. Yeah. Stone cold. How many right? times have we seen cars just burn to the ground at Santa Pod or whatever? And they're just like, whatever, get out, leave it. We'll, we'll build another one. What'd you guys think of letting that music play for quite a while? Yeah, I liked it. I, I kind of like that. I feel like maybe I should have let it go a little bit longer. Um, we be a sip. Uh, Hand to God apparently is today's drinking game. I've introduced that line recently. It's new. It's new to the program. I think it's uh, maybe a couple weeks old. JT may be keeping track a little closer than anybody else. I'm not sure. But that's uh, today's drinking game. So in, in case anybody is partaking at this 2 o'clock hour in the middle of the week who would do that who would do that hard to believe um how cool is it though real quick i just want to talk about this briefly for all that's talked been talked about in 2020 about excuse me 2021 about the nhra pro mod drag racing series and car count specifically first at the beginning of the year it was all about rules and whatnot midway through the season and here as we kind of approach the finish line it's been all about car count right we saw it kind of fluctuate throughout the season i don't it's a feather in the cap of this whole program, in my opinion, that a guy is shipping a car from Russia and flying over here with manpower to race. I mean, that's a big storyline. I hope awesome. the NHRA What's jumps the, on this. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. And I wonder what the game plan is moving forward. Is that car going to stay here? Is it going to run next year? Is it a one-time deal? Seems like a lot of effort to one run one race, right? It does. Very, yeah, there's no doubt. I hope that it's, for me, that's what I've always said about ProMod that draws me to it is that it's the universal language of drag racing. It really is. No matter whether it's Russia, the Middle East, Australia, the UK, Canada, ProMod, everybody knows what it is, right? I mean, to within, relatively speaking, everybody knows these are cars that are wild and crazy, cars that still look like cars. I think it's a fantastic thing, to be honest. And I, I hope the NHRA really latches onto this storyline. And I, I believe that we're going to have to here at Drag Illustrated, as soon as we get off this show, we need to get with you know, editor-in-chief Nate Van Wagen. We need to get our, our boy, uh, Josh Hatchett, calling this cat up because that's a big story. I'm sure for him, coming from Russia, I don't know a whole lot about the racing scene in Russia. Anybody here that does, please let us know because I am I feel a little bit disconnected from that. The fact that there are even drag strips or a drag strip, I'm not sure how many uh, Brett Kepner probably knows, maybe Brian Loans, but the fact that they're drag racing in Russia just, I don't know, makes me happy, yeah, right? Cool. I mean, I just think it's awesome. And the fact that they're doing, you know, they're racing pro mods in Russia feels like a victory. So the fact that he's coming over here, SMP Racing, I remember this kind of in a in piecemeal fashion. I remember they sponsored a race back in like 2018, an NHRA Pro Mod Drag Racing Series race because Anna, Adam Flamhawk is somehow tied into that deal. SMP Racing, are you Googling it? No, but I, I remember oh, that. I feel like that was on someone's car, like Al Billis's car or something back in the day or something. Maybe it was a different SMP or different uh, combination of letters, but um, no, no telling. But yeah, uh, JT, yeah. you Google that. See what we can find out. Because the fact that somebody's coming over from Russia to race, it, the NHRA has been really blessed because the international, this is a talking point that doesn't get enough credit. The fact that we've got the diversity that exists in our sport, especially at its highest levels. I mean, across the board, but the SMP fact that in our professional categories are chock full of men, women of every color, creed, uh, background. It's pretty incredible, man. What were you? What'd you find out, Murder? SMP Racing is the motorsport endurance racing team and also motorsports management created in 2013. You need to read with like more Boris enthusiasm. Rottenberg. Start over. 
like a little bit. Come on. <laughs> SMP. SMP Racing is yeah, the Motorsports yeah. Endurance Racing Team and also Motorsports Management created in 2013 by Boris much Rosenberg. better. Yeah, we got much, to send them much better. Out. But now you have to send Bank them an invoice. Of Russia. <laughs> did you say the Bank of Russia? I did say the Bank of Russia. Dude, I'm in. I like we need listen. There you go. Daniel Next Planet. Wednesday, powered by <laughs> Flow Racing, powered by Elite HP. And the powered by the Bank of, of Russia. Russia. I'm telling you, that was a script read right there. We got to send them an invoice, especially once I heard the ladies Bank and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Yeah. I'm actually going to make you yeah. do. Uh, I'm going to make you do all the the script reads from here on out. Uh, this oh, Daniel great. Daniel Flanagan says Billis's was Stratford Motor Products, a car dealership. So it was SMP. I get partial credit, bro. Our our the, negative. Our fans are the best fans. They yep. they're smarter than everybody else. Absolutely, walking. it's incredible. Uh, put your nuggets into reading that copy, Murder T. That's exactly right. I want to see you bring some energy, JT. You know what I mean? I've it's got how, it. Yeah, yeah, I know you do. Um, hey, real quick, point your camera down a little bit. I can't see enough of your face. Point your camera down a little bit. There we go. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is perfect. I just want to see all of you. All you got, nuts too much. Oh, it's too, yeah, much. too much. Gotcha. Too much. Gotcha. <laughs> too much. Oh, my goodness. But seriously, don't you think that's a big deal? Like the international flair that exists? I mean, I'm... I want to be surprised. What's the ProMod entry list look like right now for NHRA? Call some. I don't know. Let's pull that up. Let's pull it up. It wasn't good when we talked a few weeks ago. We, for a variety of reasons. Um, hey, apparently everyone in our comments knows what S&P was, except for me. Apologies, I didn't guys. know what it was. <laughs> I didn't either. I just remember the logo on that, uh, on the Studebaker. But anyway, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, event info. Hold on. This is a, definitely a good event for him to make his debut because obviously they need the cars. So uh, what do you think? What do you think it's going to look like when you pull it up, Wes, as far as adding people to it or the whole situation with the championship being locked up? Have you heard anything more about that since we talked about it a couple of weeks ago? He's not listening to you. 12. No, I am listening to everything. I've listened to every single thing you said, Mike. Um, there's 12 cars entered for Vegas. And I never, ever, ever want our show to be negative. So I don't want to like labor over this, but man, that just breaks my heart a little bit. You know, I mean, if you think about where the class was two, three years ago, and you think about where it is now with, you know, that 12 cars in Vegas, Vegas is a interesting because, and thank you, Doug core. We actually have this as a topic to talk about a little bit later in the show. And I guess I can go ahead and pull it up to be honest. But um, one of the topics we were going to talk about is the, the funny car and top fuel car count for Vegas is really solid. 1920 cars and top fuel, 1920 cars and funny car. I mean, that's really, really impressive, especially this time in the, this time of the season. What's up a uh, little late. That's okay. JSTA two valve racing. I'm sure checking in from Fort worth. You're in my, you're in my house, bro. You're in Fort worth, Texas, but seriously, 12 cars, uh, Stevie Jackson, Brandon Snyder, Khaled Belushi, Mike Castellana, who's been pretty hit and miss here in 2021. Jose Gonzalez, your recently crowned champion, uh, fantastic guy who had a hell of a season. Lyle Barnett, Dmitry Samirkarov, someone's calling me, uh, Doug Winters, Jim Whiteley, Justin Bond, Mike Salinas, J.R. Gray. I, I, I got to say, first and foremost, just a tip of the cap to all these touring professionals because our sport so badly needs these folks, right? I mean, it's, it's incredible that these guys are touring around the country racing. It's, I mean, I'm, I'm massively appreciative of it, especially the guys that kind of come out of the woodwork for this type of thing. I, I think that there's going to have to be some, some time spent this, this off season 
figuring out the direction. Like, what's the vision? Where do we want NHRA Pro Mod, the E3 Spark Plugs, NHRA Pro Mod series presented by JNA Service? Where do we want this deal to be in five years? It'd help if the NHRA would help them. It would. You know, I mean, really, I mean, like, you can only go back so many times, you know, with, with hey, we're not going to do anything, anything well, more and, for you. you know, I mean, really, last year or was your the last, this was the last race of the season last year, correct? Vegas was. There it was always no is. Pomona. Yeah. No. Oh, for, oh, the whole, oh, oh. for the whole series. Yeah. Uh, for Camping World Series also. And I wonder, because it's not this year, you know, teams tow out there, probably leave their stuff out there, go to Pomona. Um, a lot of people coming from Canada, the West Coast. Yeah. And I wonder, I don't know about the entry list for last year, how the event fared last year, but um, I wonder how that's affecting things that we actually have Pomona this year. I know it doesn't affect the Pro Mods, but the rest of the series it does. I think it's positively affecting the rest of the series, mm -hmm. like the other categories, in my opinion, without question. The fact that you can tow out West, leave your stuff, great people, Jeff Foster, everybody at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, very welcoming. I, I honestly think that's why Mel Ross Streetcar Super Nationals is typically that's, so yeah. strong exactly. because guys can leave their Pro Mod cars. Interesting backstory. Whenever I had initially cooked up the idea of the Drag Illustrated World Series of Pro Mod, my plan was to do that event in conjunction with Mel Roth's Streetcar Super Nationals. I approached Mel in like 2000, maybe 13 or 14, and I said, hey, you don't get a ton of participation from NHRA, you know, the high level NHRA teams, right? I mean, most of, you know, Danny Rowe wasn't going to those races. Right. Uh, Mike Castellana wasn't going to those races. And I came to him. We had a meeting at SEMA. Remember it vividly because we just did it like outside in like the hallway, like with people everywhere. It was unbelievable. But we, we met at SEMA and I said, hey, I want to piggyback on your event. Like I want to, you already have a destination event at a great venue. I love Las Vegas. I love everything about Las Vegas for the most part. And it's, it felt like the perfect venue for the World Series of Pro Mod. Like if you're going to do a big money, crazy Pro Mod race, that's the spot to do it, right? And I actually came to him and at that time, and I remember pitching this to you, Mike, I'm going to do a $10,000 buy-in. I can like, imagine how this went. You go, bro, you're, you're crazy. Like nobody's <laughs> going to pay 10 grand. And I'm like, no, man, it's winner take all. It's high stakes gambling, you know, and I, I still stand by that concept and I, I intend to revive it at some point in the future. But nonetheless, I that was the kind of vision that I had in mind. To your point, Mike, the you were talking about how beneficial it is to all these nitro cars and nitro teams and pro stock teams that they can tow out west and they can race back to back weekends, you know, and leave their stuff out on the West Coast and not have to go back home. That was my thought. I, I had reached out to a bunch of teams and I said, hey, here's what we're going to do. You guys will go finish the NHRA season in Vegas, leave your rigs there for two weeks, right? And then come back and race for a hundred grand. It's the same World concept of, Pro Mod. of the benefit of Pomona for the other teams. Yeah, a hundred percent. I don't know what the NHRA is going to have to do. I, I hate it that the money is all that money or sales is always the answer, but that's like a Mark Cuban thing. Sales fix everything and money fixes a lot of stuff. I'm not saying money is the cure-all, but when it comes to this situation, the NHRA is going to get have to get hyper-aggressive. If they want ProMod to stay on that track that it has been on of kind of onward and upward, so to speak, they're going to have to throw some money at these guys. They're going to have to find a way to offset. I personally feel, and this is a deep conversation that I don't know now is the time for, but it's like- yeah, Go on forever. Yeah, what do you do, right? I mean, how 
what's the future of the NHRA? Like, does someone, does oh, that boy. conversation need to be had? Because I, I'm not so totally sold on, we're going to be racing nitro top fuel and funny car the way we're doing it for the next 30 years. Are we We've said that? And we've, I think we're starting to see a sliver of that with this, this year, the way things are changing with Tony Stewart's new team, Don Schumacher's uh, realignment. Uh, there's a, and there's a handful of, of other uh, announcements and things that are going to be forthcoming. I think that the whole, especially the nitro um, pit is going to look a lot different next year. I think it's going to be the start of a, of a bit of a, we talked about it, a market correction, an adjustment, a realignment. So I think that is the start. We'll, we'll see, but we'll have to do a whole show if we're going to talk. About I just think that ProMod, if I look, not to get on a soapbox, ProModified is, in my opinion, without question, the strongest category that exists across drag racing, right? I mean, if you think about how many cars exist that with a few changes could be running, look at look at the Snowbird Nationals. I saw somebody mention in the comments, Bradenton Motorsports yep. Park, they sold out 50 entries for that race, 50,000 to win in like eight seconds. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I mean, literally within a few seconds, a few minutes, whatever, Victor Alvarez and the team down at Bradenton Motorsports Park had more cars than they're probably going to be able to park. And they've got a waiting list. Literally, they have a waiting list. And some of the teams that are on that waiting list would blow your mind. It's crazy. The high-level teams that are kind of on the outside looking in, I believe the NHRA, with a little bit of effort and a little bit of money, could have that, that situation on their hands 10, 12 times a year. But they've got to they've got to be more inclusive, and I'm I'm all for exclusivity. You guys know how I feel about special treatment. West loves some VIP, you know. West loves a little bit of special treatment. I'm all about exclusivity, but in this particular situation, it's about inclusivity. How can we get more people involved in this category? And I don't think the answer is opening up the rules from like letting screw blowers in or letting jet cars in or whatever the NHRA will come up with. The answer is putting some money in play, paying to qualify. I honestly think they could leave the winner's share at $10,000, but find a way to get this thing paying over a thousand bucks, a couple thousand bucks to qualify. And you would have a whole new world, a whole new world for pro mod drag racing on the quarter mile. And then if you could Stevie Jackson right here on this program, a handful of other drivers have come on here talking about maybe loosening up. And I, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about today in regards to safety. And we're, we're going to do that. But in this particular moment, if you looked around the industry and said, Hey, maybe we've got to pull back on these, the transmission tunnel rule. That's a very unpopular rule in pro modified right now. Uh, I think that would bring a lot of cars to the table hey, maybe we could get some sort of Groupon discount for that coating under the front end. People are complaining about that. I mean, Lonnie Grimm, Rock Carzoli, a lot of people that I'm close with that are NHRA tech officials or involved in that world have given me incredible feedback on uh, that flame retardant coating that goes underneath the front end of these cars and how much of a difference it can make and how bad of a fire you can have without significant industry. However, if you could find a way to just get loosen it up enough that you can get regional racers involved, man, I think the pro mod NHRA pro mod sh could and should be the biggest thing happening in drag racing. And the fact that it's not is a tragedy. It absolutely could be, but it's going to take a little bit of a vision. It's going to take a plan, man. Yeah. They've the got to they, they've get the purse up too. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. And 10 then, grand to win. If you're not going to, if you're not going to show them on TV at, at all either, that doesn't help them with any of their sponsors. 
True. Yeah, we had which, Lyle which Barnett gonna, gonna, on our help, on know, a ride along on Monday. Fuel and right. everything else getting there and parts and you know, I mean, it just it just hurts all the way around. Yeah. So they, you got to treat them better, pay them better. Um, man, man, put some focus on them. Jesus, there's put them on TV. I mean, there, you know, yeah, like, we've talked about and we wow. talked about this to your point, Mike, yeah. and that that to your point should be the next drinking game. Yeah, Mike to your goodness. point is definitely to your the point. Game. That's that was my yeah, vote. To your point, yeah, it's uh, yeah. I but just Lyle, to... Lyle wasn't even on TV on his first round matchup. He brought a sponsor to the table to try to get him to uh, which event was it that he was referring to? I can't Dallas. Remember. I think wasn't or no, was it his first round win? No, no, it was something because it, it was the oh, race Gaines- before Dallasville, and I, I guess because he red lit or maybe there wasn't anything to really show like an exciting run or whatever, they just skipped it. So <laughs> yeah. he qualified and had a sponsor on the side of the car, and that's what got him to the race. And yeah, he, he red lit first round, but that sponsor got zero engagement and coverage and ROI and he heard on about that it, deal. I think and he said. yeah, he did. Yeah. He did. He said, you know, or he had to go to them and say, Hey, right. here's what happened. Here's why you weren't on TV at all, which I'm sure he told them and promised them at least a, a, a small sliver of TV. So uh, I think that's what we're a, seeing happening is like the exposure the so the expense, the performance demands of ProMod is just ever escalating. It's, it's, venture i mean it's rapidly well, we talked encroaching about on completely out of control but the exposure associated with it is going maybe down. at an all-time low right and it's pro modded itself we talked about this this is our new term this can be a drinking game too we're we're concerned about no prep kings getting pro modded as things go on and by that we mean sort of uh po- poisoning itself with the the performance demands and the and the uh, competitive nature of it getting out of hand. Uh, we saw it in radio versus world the world. We saw it in uh, in ProMod itself. We've seen it happen 10-5. many many times. Yep. Ten five, uh, Pro Extreme in ADRL. Uh, all of these scenarios where uh, the the class sort of outruns itself, and then the cost to do it just outruns the uh, the exposure and the ROI. Times, associated with it i mean multiple mm-hmm. times multiple over. times over yeah so. and that's a huge and that's honestly i think that that in a nutshell is the problem with nhra professional drag racing as a whole whether you're racing top fuel funny car pro stock pro mod pro stock motorcycle you're not getting enough exposure for right. the money you're spent I me mean, for what it takes to do it you're not getting the eyeballs necessary to, to bring sponsors to the table to offset that cost and they're not and paying, they're not paying back purses enough where you can go put a team together and go win money drag racing. And see, so you know, and what's like, the answer so to that? You got to be, you basically got to be rich to go. I mean, yeah. I hate that, but yeah, you got to be loaded to, to sure. go run one. You know, that's just, what, just part of it, right? And so the you answer can't be is, like the greatest driver coming up and you're going to get a ride. Yeah, you know? not yeah, anymore. Unfortunately, that, that never yeah. happens anymore. And you see, what's the answer? You see something like Street Outlaws or No Prep Kings. And you're like, I mean, what? I, I might get in trouble for saying this, but People okay, sitting man. at home, all of your top level pro mod guys, see those guys on there, see the cars, especially a couple of years ago, see the cars, see what's going on and go, I could do that. I could beat these guys. These guys are nothing or whatever they, whatever they may be saying to themselves while they've got like the baddest hot rod in the world <laughs> in the rig and are, you know, racing for peanuts to, and no exposure. So what happens? Those guys start creeping into these other areas where obviously it makes more sense and they're getting more exposure. And so we've talked about I mean, it a we've bunch seen of times. some big us. companies on yeah. the side of NHRA Pro Mod cars. Like I think yeah. about, 
you know, Steve Matusik, Tequila Commissario, our longtime friend of Drag Illustrated, Fran Vincenzo, uh, Vivenzio from Tequila Commissario. I mean, they do this big rollout. Remember, we did a video and all sorts of stuff for Steve Matusik when he rolled that rap out at yep. uh, the NHRA US Nationals a couple yeah, of years ago. And it's like, can you imagine what the company Tequila Commissario would have done if that would have been, if that whole thing would have happened on Discovery Channel at like 7 p.m. on a Monday night prime time? I mean, it's 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 unimaginable the impact, that little bit of exposure. And I think the NHRA is going to have to find a way. It's tough though, because the NHRA has a, it's a balancing act, right? And I've been a part of this for long enough and I've been, you know, involved in some conversations where I think the NHRA's fear is, and this is a problem, making fear-based decisions. Yeah. yeah. Making fear-based decisions is a problem, but that's a conversation for another day. But I believe their fear is if they shine a bunch of light and give a lot of love and spotlight to the pro mod guys, why go funny car racing? <laughs> right. That you know, is why that's go yeah. part of the problem. I mean, I was actually, this is a true story and I will go to my grave and it's one I don't love to tell, but it's a great story of the, the situation that is at play in an NHRA national event environment. Many moons ago, I was part of a pro mod team. We roll out this huge hospitality production at the NHRA spring nationals in Houston, Texas. Great venue for our sponsors. A lot of, you know, it was a, it was a home run for us on a lot of levels. So we we pull out all the stops. I'm talking DJ, bar, uh, girls, you know, promo girls, VIP lanyards. I mean, we've got this incredible tent, the whole bit for a pro mod team. About three quarters of the way through the day on Friday, we've still got two more days. We got 100 guests. I think we had 150 guests on Friday, 150 guests on Saturday, and then like 75 on Sunday. We had different groups that were coming each day, right? About halfway, three quarters of the way through the day on Friday, we got two more days. We've got plans. We got people invited. NHRA comes over and says, "Hey, you got to shut this deal down." And we are beside ourselves. I mean, we're literally ready to pack up and leave the track. We're so frustrated. Their argument was, "We can't have a bunch of pro mod teams putting on high level hospitality deals because that that that." activation that power belongs to our pro teams belongs That's to our bullshit, top fuel and funny car teams because crazy, they're it? and it turns out it was pro it was the pro the professional racing organization professional racers organization that was bitching to the nhra saying hey if our sponsors can go have a badass hospitality experience spending a fraction of the money with to sponsor a pro mod team why would they sponsor us so the nhra was feeling pressure from their pro teams right to to put a stop to that deal and fortunately we were able to kind of make the whole thing work and it's a long story but my point is that man there's a the NHRA serves a lot of masters yeah it's a that's a tough balancing act i can see both sides of that i can too yeah well but they, they, they need to step up their game you know i mean really I it, mean, that's yeah that's you, really you what know, it comes down they, to they, they do but, i mean you step up their game in competition and, i mean i think that my thought was, and th this is something that doesn't exist in drag racing, is where's the opportunity for a company to come in and like sponsor a pro mod team? And maybe, maybe this is a pipe dream. I think it might be. But like, imagine a driver comes into the sport and they have a sponsor that they're kind of associated with. And this is a conversation that I've had many times. There, there should be, it seems like there should be a, a pathway for them to like organically grow together. You bring a company in that's doing, let's say four to 6 million annual revenue, and they've got a quarter or a, a quarter million dollars that they could throw at a race team sponsorship, right? What, like, it would be cool to see that team show up perhaps in 
in NHRA Pro Mod, the business grow based on that investment, right? More eyeballs or whatever, and they go from four to six million to maybe six to eight million or eight to ten million dollars. That's a huge jump, but I'm just using these as examples. But you, you, the company starts to grow, or maybe it goes from four to six million to six and a half million, or seven million. Maybe it's a it's a relatively small jump. I got to get on my calculator, JT. All these. I'm numbers. just saying, what wouldn't it be cool if there was an opportunity for that ProMod team to kind of go into Funny Car? Or go into top, yeah, or, or maybe you know, like two, yeah. maybe they grow or field now. two cars. You know, yeah. go back to the old super team days of like Castrol. It's just, I don't know. I feel yeah, or like, like or like uh, you know, Supercross. You know, like these factory teams. You know, they're in one twenty five. They're in two fifty. They're you know, they're in the open class. I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with with having more than one. You know, you know, car at an event. And if you, and then if you had a team where everybody's kind of working together and helping each other out or down a crew member, you can grab someone else, you know, I mean, really, that'd be kind of cool. I think, but you know what it is? What? Scarcity mindset. It is a scarcity mindset. Yeah. I say it all the time. We, you like how we spent 15 minutes on our first question. Yeah. And I haven't even put up one of the graphics. <laughs> Wes, Wes was drinking a, like a nitro, double nitro cold brew right yet. So we're in trouble. Yeah. Hey, it is what it is. But I mean, I just think it's an interesting topic. And it again, is. I look at the inventory of cars. We, we are looking at right now in Las Vegas, this coming weekend, the strip at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, I think the coolest racetrack in the country. The best case scenario, there's 40 nitro cars on the property. And I think that's a, that is, I don't know that we can ask for it to be better than that. That not, is no, incredible. Right that is absolutely incredible. But, I, and, but from the perspective of the NHRA, man, I think you need a, Next, I think you need the next thing. I think you need something else, something that doesn't take, you know, over a million dollars a year to run close. Right. But I mean, I just really, really, really think that that is kind of if I was the NHRA, I would want a farm league, so to speak. I would want something that was bringing people to our category or bringing people to our program. This is well, actually that's a conversation. Probably look, that's probably what they look at ProMod as, to be honest with you, though. Perhaps. You know, perhaps. Really. Um, okay, well, let's, let's dive into some of our topics. We're going to be joined by uh, Brittany Forrest. I'm going to remind everybody we'll have Brittany Forrest, Forrest, driver of the Monster Energy Top Fuel Dragster, joining us at 3.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. We're also going to be joined by Jeff Pierce, ProMod Tuner Extraordinaire, at about 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. I do want to remind everybody, of course, that the West Bucks show is brought to you each and every week by way of our friends at Stroud Safety. Stroud Safety is known for their top quality racing safety equipment from drag chutes and seat belts to fire suits, gloves and blankets, all 100% made in America. Log on to StroudSafety.com and make sure you tell them we sent you. I want to dive in, guys, to our first topic of the day. Our own a little bit of self-serving stuff here, the Drag Illustrated 30 Under 30. This is something that we've been doing for, what, five, six, maybe longer seven yeah. years something like that uh for the uninitiated the drag illustrated 30 under 30 is our effort collectively to shine a light and celebrate drag racing's next generation of superstars and it doesn't have to be pro level race car drivers it's it's men and women young men and women from all walks of the racing life i'm really proud we've had nearly 5,000 nominations for this year's uh class it's uh i mean everybody from pro level drivers to street outlaw guys to big money bracket racers to crew members to industry members to people that work in the media to announcers uh track personnel sanction and series personnel i love the diversity that exists on this list and i got to tell you i think 
we do a lot of cool stuff here at Drag Illustrator. I'm very proud of it. But I think one of the greatest honors and privileges that, that we get every year is to shine a light on these young folks. I tell this story when we unveil the list at PRI, at the Performance Racing Industry Trade Show, every December, Friday at high noon, we unveil the list at uh, what I believe to be the most attended press conference that happens at PRI. Am yeah, I right? Yeah, people coming from other sides of the world. It's crazy. It's incredible, that room is packed. It's a little bit in this COVID era. It's going to be really interesting to see yeah, I, like how I, people react to I it. I felt like shit every time we've had that press conference anyway. Yeah, because you're hungover from Drag Illustrated After Hours that goes Have on you, the night has before. Has anyone ever walked the <laughs> halls of PRI without a hangover? That's true. I wonder. I don't. Think I, don't do I don't know, man. It's know. Uh, it's like a prerequisite. I thought. I got to say, there's there's a lot to cover on this specific topic, in my opinion. The Drag Illustrated 30 Under 30, really cool deal. I encourage you guys, JT, throw the, the link in the comments, please. Dragillustrated.com slash nominate. We are going to continue accepting nominations all the way till the end of business, or I think maybe midnight this Friday, October 29th. We've got to cut it off at some point. Like yep. I said, we've had 5,000 nominations. That's not 5,000 individual people. That's 5,000 nominations for various racers, and it's... We've had some really, really strongly supported folks. It's incredible to see. But I got to be honest, this deal hits me. And I think Mike, especially close to home as as young guys or, or people that used spent our youth. Used yeah, to used be to be. Spent our youth beating up and down the highways and byways of America, racing with our dad. I always say this, tell this story, but it's it's. I think a lot of people can relate to it. There's not a letterman jacket to be had for crewing on your dad's race car. Right. I mean, there's not a letterman's jacket to be had for, you know, finishing in the top 10 at your tr local track and junior dragster. Right. Or winning the high school drags points championship. These things are. It's so important. There's so many options for young people in this day and age. Right. You can you can live a pretty exciting life from and never leave your mom's basement. Right. With all the virtual reality and video gaming and all these things that go on, we, we've never seen more virtual entertainment opportunities or entertainment options than we have right now. Not to mention traveling softball, traveling baseball, football, basketball, soccer. That's a, that's one that always makes my skin crawl a little bit thinking about kids that could be drag racing, playing soccer, kicking a ball <laughs> around for three or four hours. It's unbelievable. But celebrating these kids and letting them know that that sacrifice, like choosing to go out to the shop on Thursday night, instead of going to the beer party with JT, right. And all the yep. other 17, 18 year olds, like it's, it's so important to make sure these young people know how much they mean to us and how important what they are doing is to the future of our sport. Because again, a lot of options and there's a lot of easier options. Drag racing is a humbling sport from hero to zero every weekend, most of the time. You win two in a row, then you lose 17 in a row. It's a brutal existence. The money it takes, the expense alone is hard for most to muster. But if you combine that with time away from home, time away from business, it's a very, very difficult, the travel that's involved, right? I mean, and that's, all of that is like, before you get to the racetrack and actually have to find a way to win, I mean, it's incredible. And when I look around and when I go to these races, I feel very blessed to get to travel the country, go into races. And I see all these young kids and I think about what they could be doing. There's a lot of options, right? But you go to the racetrack. I was at the racetrack Friday and Saturday night, our local eighth mile track, Extreme Raceway Park. Shout out to Clyde and Amanda Scott for treating us like family. I'm out there hanging around. I look down toward the starting line. I look in the stands, tons of families, tons of kids, right? You look, junior dragsters stacked like firewood. Man, I'm like, where the hell do all these people come from? And it just, 
it's very, very important that we encourage these kids and keep them going. Because I think everybody that's watching this or anybody that's been around the sport of drag racing very long knows if you're if you're going to need winning to keep you going, you're in trouble, right? Winning's hard here. And it's just, it's not to say you can't do it, but we have to celebrate these young men and women. So I encourage you guys to be a part of the movement. Log on to dragillustrated.com slash nominate. Let us know. We're, we pride ourselves on having our ear to the ground and knowing a lot of the good stories and having our eyes on a lot of the young up-and-comers. But admittedly, we don't know all the stories. We can't, we can't know everybody. We try really hard, uh, but we don't know and, everybody, and, and we need your help. Out. And fill the yes. form out. Don't, yeah, don't, that helps don't a just ton. shoot us a message you know, right. on Facebook. It just gets, it gets buried real quick. Yeah. You, know, you have to fill the form out. And give us a legitimate reason, not like, man, he's awesome. You know, or Manny. Yeah, this yeah, guy. We, yeah, you know, I mean, we gotta, really, have, we gotta have like what he's, you know, what what they've done, or or what they're working on, or you know, how they've helped out the sport. And don't think they have to be yeah. a world champion. Yeah, don't don't think they have either, to be. You know? Yeah, they don't have to be a racer. Uh, we, yeah, we actually look at, we look at all of it on track, mm -hmm. off track. You know, wind lights are great, but there's so much more to the sport besides that. And we're especially sensitive to that. Uh, we know what it takes off the track as much as it does on. So we look at everything. Yeah, it's so important. Uh, I appreciate everybody. We've had some really cool ones, man. We got some nominations from Steve Torrance, you know, reigning NHRA Top Fuel World Champion. It's so cool to think that Steve Torrance took time to go fill out a form on dragillustrated.com. Uh, and he's one of many. We had, we've had nominations from the stars of Street Outlaws and No Prep Kings. We've had some of the biggest name bracket racers in the business nominate people, guys like Luke Bogacki, who are something of a god in the big money bracket racing and sportsman racing world all say, hey, here's a young person that I think's making a difference, or here's a young person that I think's on the come up and going to do something special. It's uh, a really, really cool deal. I appreciate all the nominations and all the people that have been a part of this, but keep them coming. We've got a couple of days left. I think it's uh, it's fun, man. It's it's a fun thing to make sure these kids feel good year. about Didn't it. Didn't get to do it last year. We went Didn't through uh, and started, we we call it shortlisting people. And it's it's a fun process. Um, we actually forgot to include JT because, sorry about that, bro. Yeah, yeah no problem. We had a might, call yesterday. We had a, a, no, it wasn't. We had a team conference call. How long did this thing go on? Three hours? Probably yeah. longer than that. Yeah. Um, we spent most of our afternoon yesterday shortlisting folks like, okay, here's someone who fits the bill. Will they make it? And that list, that short list is long and it is an excruciating process to whittle it down and all the other factors that come into play. It's, uh, man, it's, it's a labor of love, but I encourage you guys to participate in it. You know, we've had a lot of, a lot of hits over the years, but, uh, you know, Hey man, you know, not everything goes exactly to plan, but I'm really proud. So many of our 30 under 30 alumni have gone on to achieve like really incredible things, race and top fuel, win top fuel races. I mean, I think about Justin Ashley, he was on the cover last year and he was a little bit of a, it's typically not a top fuel racer that ends up on the cover of the drag illustrated 30 right. under 30 issue. It's typically someone from a, you know, much more humble beginnings, so to speak. But it was so cool to put Justin Ashley on the cover of the magazine and then six months later, see him in the winter circle in Indianapolis. Right. Like I mean, Superman. Remember that? He looked like Superman on that, on that cover. He did look like Superman on that cover. <laughs> he He's kind of got some Superman characteristics, but I just, I'm so proud when those things worked out. Cole Rakoski in the comments right here, my 30 under 30 jacket is one of my most prized possessions. And it's, 
I think a lot that, of people could say that those yeah, jackets man. were a huge hit. Nate really, and Nate really works hard on this deal. This is his baby, Nate this Van is. Wagner, editor in chief, who is, we told him yesterday, he's a forever uh, honorary 30 under 30 member. I think we even mentioned that at one of the press conferences because yeah. one of the most common nominations we get is for Nate himself. So don't that's think awesome. that we're, we're not aware. Yeah. That's that. not lost on us but, at all. And, 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 you know, when we're handing out the awards though, it sometimes makes it tough that we don't accept any awards, but uh, Nate, we definitely honor him in his efforts in this and just doing the press conference. Uh, if you're, if you can make it to PRI, please. And if you can make it to the press conference on Friday, uh, definitely it's worth it. It's worth it. Everyone is welcome uh, to uh, attend and to view it. And obviously anybody that ends up getting one of these uh, nominations, um, please try to make your plans as much as possible to be there. And I think, in fact, it's such a big deal that we didn't have this list last year in large part because we couldn't have the press conference. We knew there was racing going on and there were some things to measure these kids by that we could have done a list. But then we thought, what a... Uh, what a anticlimactic deal it will be to make the list for 2020. And then we can't have the press conference. So we wanted to save that sort of combine everything for this year and, uh, and, and do it up big. So make your way. It would have been a devastating thing. I thought about this a lot. We, Nate and I went back and forth. I remember we were actually in my rental car at Virginia motorsports park, uh, at the PDRA national event when we were making the decision to ultimately pull the plug on the 30 uh, under 30 for 2020. And our, our reasoning was exactly that, Mike, that we, it would be unfair for a class of 30 people to have seen all these other young people get to go to PRI and get to be yep. treated like rock stars and get to come up on stage and get the jacket and all these things. And then because of circumstances completely out of their control this year, they're not going to get to do that. And I just thought, man, and Nate and I agree that that was definitely not the move to make. So we did kind of loosen things up a little bit. We couldn't, there, there's sometimes it happens and you kind of got to live with it. I'm sure there are some people that could have been nominated last year that maybe didn't get nominated this year or some people that perhaps aged out. We did try to get a yeah, little, yeah, we are, allowing, we loosened it up a little bit. Like if you turned 31. 30, yep. yeah. I mean, if you turn 30 within the last year or whatever, we're going to, we're going to consider you as a, as a viable candidate because we think it would be unfair for someone to have had, you know, an incredible year in 2020 or be having an incredible year in 21 but have aged out over the course of this global pandemic. So we feel like we've done our best to, to make it as much of a home run as is we it can. Nate Wagnon or is it Nate Van Wagnon? <laughs> Depends who you ask. Nate Wagon. You know, oh yeah. Cause I mean, if you, if you, but maybe the first or second year we did certificates. Yes. And I forged them all. And I was like, well, surely that, surely that's his middle name. You're not supposed yeah, to tell like, that part. Oh yeah. He signs okay. every one of these certificates. Yeah. Nate Wagon. Wagnon. Wagnon. <laughs> <laughs> and uh oh jt oh my yeah. goodness don't ever get in the business of like selling fake autographs or anything because uh you could never pull off what oj simpson was doing i uh, could not yeah the murder the jail time or the <laughs> fake autograph stuff but um Good no time, it's, uh, yeah. it's uh really really cool deal and i appreciate again everybody that has nominated someone these kids deserve it they absolutely deserve it uh matter of fact on a closing note with that topic you see a young kid at the racetrack, you see someone helping their dad, you see someone helping their mom, fist bump them, high five them, tell them you appreciate them being there. You never know what kind of day they might be having. They may have just gotten yelled and screamed at by somebody. Uh, so it, it means probably their dad or whatever about doing something wrong or scratching the front end with a Zeus tool. So make sure you cheer those people on and let them know how much we That's appreciate the worst. it. It is, man. If I had a dollar for every time my dad got mad at me for <laughs> anything. For doing that. Hold it. You hold it like this. 
and and do it slow and put pressure on it. Oh my goodness! How many times did you hear that? It's a brutal existence. Uh, uh, I'm Mark, supposed to go well, slowly. Off, oh, really? Mark quick, Woodruff wants to know: We doing a DI party at PRI? Yes, we are. Yeah. Stay tuned. We're working on it. Mark Woodruff. Absolutely. We have a brand new venue. Uh, same venue, but under new ownership and remodeled. So that's exciting. Uh, the new management is what I'm most excited about. I don't mean to like derail our conversation here, but it does kind of drive me crazy, to be honest, how often I have to try to explain to these club owners how big the party is. We've been told on multiple instances that for most of these nightclubs in downtown Indy, their biggest nights of the year are New Year's Eve, Halloween, and the Drag Illustrated Party. Those are their three biggest nights of business. And to continually kind of be, what do you think? Don't you guys feel like a little bit slept on? It's like we roll into these pregame meetings months in advance and we tell them, hey, we're going to run out of ice. We're going to run out of Coors Light. We're going to run out of McUltra. We're going to run out of whiskey. We're going to run out of vodka. Like you need to have way more than you would normally have. You need to have double the wait staff, triple the wait staff that you would typically have. They never take us seriously. Uh, but I do believe we finally found a partner here in 2021 that is up to the task. I think we're going to have the best party we've ever had this year. Uh, it was it stunk to miss last year, but I almost feel like this this little bit of break will bring some renewed enthusiasm, a breath of fresh air to the event. And I'm looking forward to the next four or five years, man. I, I personally believe between DI After Hours on Thursday night and the Drag Illustrated 30 Under 30 press conference on Friday – it's kind of it's our our deal is kind of the buzzing thing and i just uh i'm excited to keep that trend going for a long 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 time man how slow do you want me to go between these these topics t so i don't upset you That's this perfect. didn't work That's out perfect, man <laughs> um okay here we go i'm gonna change the layout briefly yeah, because i, I do want to make mention we just dropped the brand new issue of drag illustrated the capco boys out on the cover of Drag Illustrated Magazine's special crew chief issue. This is another thing that's near and dear our hearts as people who have worked on race cars, put up awnings, drove trucks, done all that hard part, all that stuff that's typically overlooked or taken for granted. Every year we look forward to the crew chief issue and it's not just for crew chiefs, it's for crew members, people that contribute to their drag racing team without being behind the wheel. This year, uh, super proud of this unique challenge for Mike. Um, super unique challenge for Mike here to try to get what's that a dozen guys on the cover of the magazine. This is the most human beings that we've ever had on the cover of the magazine. I think three or four prior to this has been the, the most human bodies we've had on the cover of the magazine, but in discussions, this is a very interesting story. And I think it's worth being told. I approached Bobby Lagana, um, one of the, the lead team members on Steve Torrance's Capco Top Fuel operation. I came up to him at the NHRA US Nationals, and it was during the rain delay on Saturday. I came up to him. I said, Bobby, I need a favor, man. Monday after the race, would you mind staying over and like getting the car out or whatever so that we could do a photo shoot with you? I'd really like to get – this is what I said. And I, I mean, I'm going to own it right here. I want to get you and, and Dom and Richard Hogan, like the three of you on the cover as like the guys who contribute to the success of this team. And without and this is the kind of guy that Bobby Lagana I say their name wrong all the time I believe it's actually Lagana is Bobby Lagana yeah that's or at least that's what Reinhardt says yeah, um, <clears throat> Bobby Lagana he looks at me and he says Wes so honored I appreciate it man and I want to do it but what he said next I mean it took it hit me like a ton of bricks he says but I'm not responsible for the success of this car and I said oh yeah what do you mean man and he's like no dude there's like a dozen of us and he goes and honestly he goes there's a lot of guys on this team that could leave and go run programs elsewhere in the pits. 
be the number one guy elsewhere. I found that really interesting. And I said, well, so what are you thinking? He goes, man, if, if we can't all be on the cover, I just don't think it'd be right. And I said, she want the whole team on the cover of the magazine. And he's like, well, I'm not telling you what to do. He goes, but if that's possible, I sure would like to try. And I said, you know what, man? Well, let's do it right here. And we cool. shook hands on it. And it was just such a cool moment to, to have this cool. guy say, you know what, dude? It's not just me. And then you called me and we're like, Mike, uh, bad news. We're going to have to put like 12 <laughs> guys on the cover. And after nope, I'm not going to do it, not going to do it, Wes. Nope. Nope. <laughs> and, then we had, Wes. And, then, and then Cole Rakowski and Nate Van Wagenen uh, helped coordinate this. Cole was the photographer. So then we had to put it on Cole that Cole, hey, man, you got to somehow make this work for the cover <laughs> with 12. How many guys are on there? One, two, three, four, 12, five, right? 12. six, seven. Yeah. I think it's, I can't even I count. 10. Right yeah. Was it 10? But I mean, still, I mean, I'm just proud of it. And the, here's the thing that I think is even more important. 10. Look who's not on it. Steve. Steve Torrance. And I said this to Steve. I actually called Steve Torrance. And this was actually right before he came on this show. And I told him we were working on this. And I said, hey, I just want to let you know that we're putting your team on the cover of the magazine. But by design, you're not going to be in the photo. And I just want you to understand why we're doing this. And he, he, he didn't need an explanation. He said, no, Wes, that, that's awesome. And I said, well, good, man, because not everybody, you know, understands or appreciates the angle we're taking here because I don't want to diminish your contribution to the team's success. But I think it's safe to say that you got to have these guys, right? And he goes, no, you no explanation needed. I love it. And it's just been a really cool thing. Steve man. hasn't been on the cover. Yeah, Steve Torrance never been on the cover of the I magazine. Mean, I think his time is coming. Yeah. Uh, you know, especially <laughs> if he pulls out this the way he's run this year and with the championship, we'll see how that ends up. But uh, this is coming from a guy who hasn't been on the cover and certainly deserves it. And he put his team first. So says a lot about that whole deal. I think it's amazing, man. I'm really proud of it. Great job, Mike. Great job, Nate, Josh, everybody, JT, Caroline, Nancy, uh, everybody that's Van. It's an incredible team effort to put this magazine out every month and Every time I get one and I see one and we start the proofing process, Mike, and we're going through it, I, I literally have to pinch myself. Man, this looks so good. You, you guys will freak out when you see some of the features in this particular issue. The cover story is bananas. The layout is sick. And just I'm really proud of it. And I think that this is an important thing, much like the 30 under 30. If we're not celebrating these guys that are breaking, you know, busting their knuckles, making these cars run every weekend, if we're not celebrating them, what are we doing? I mean, we, this sport doesn't exist without these guys. And it's just, I feel super proud and honored to shine a light on them and make sure they get their moment in the sun. I agree. I agree too. All right. Well, so uh, on to uh, the next one here, and I'm going to try to move a little bit slower. This is a fun one to talk about. Ladies and gentlemen, we do have about 30 minutes here before we will be joined by the one and only Brit Fo Brittany Force as she embarks on you know, winning a second world championship in NHRA top fuel competition. She is in a heated battle with Steve Torrance. It's going to be really funny to see how this whole thing shakes out. But I want to remind you guys, friends and racers, the West Buck Show is brought to you by our friends at Elite HP, the world leader in used race cars, racing parts and engines, tools, anything you could possibly need. Our buddies at Elite HP got you. Located in Fort Worth, Texas, Elite HP is operated by real racers who speak the tribal language of drag racing. Whatever you need, log on to EliteHP.com. They likely have it. I want to say, JT, <clears throat> this is going to be a little bit of a departure for us from our normal 
you know, talking points. But uh, actually, based on the conversation, I'm going to skip down. JT, remind me to go back. Um, I think we got to, I don't want to, you know, we got to touch on these things. It's our responsibility. Uh, you know, I, I don't fashion myself an, uh, a journalist necessarily or a reporter. I fashion myself an entertainer. I mean, we, we talk a lot about news and current, current events, but our job here on the West Buck show is to make you guys laugh, make you guys smile, entertain you on a Wednesday afternoon, keep the drag racing conversation going. But it would be, um, we would be remiss not to mention talking about what we just talked about with uh, the Capco boys on the cover of Drag Illustrated this month. Our entire racing community right now is mourning the loss of a young man, Dylan Cromwell, uh, driving a truck for Jim Head Racing, not headed to a race or anything like that. And I don't know all the details of the incident, friends, but uh, absolute tragedy. A highway accident claims the life of one of Drag Racing's, a, a young man that could be on the Drag Illustrated 30 under 30, a guy that was, his lifelong dream was to win a NHRA Wally. I had this conversation earlier this morning about how much that trophy means to people and the, the reverence it has carried with it for 70 years. I mean, it's incredible what that trophy means to folks. And to, to think about a young man like, like Dylan Cromwell losing his life before he was able to get that done is it tugs on every one of our heartstrings. I send my, my, my well wishes uh, to everybody that was affected by this. I know it was a, a loss for our entire racing community, but nobody more so than his friends and family, his team at Jim head racing, Blake Alexander, who's been driving that car. Um, I haven't spoken to Blake personally. I know he's tore up uh, significantly over this deal. And I just, it's a, it was a bit of a heartbreaking weekend in a lot of regards for the sport of drag racing. This is, I think when we are reminded that there are a lot of ways people contribute to our sport, I, I try to talk about these things all the time, not just on the pages of the magazine, but I mean, you can have the best equipment in the world, but if it doesn't get there safely, what do you have, right? You can have the best equipment in the world, but if the young man or woman that you've got checking the air in the tires, puts 47 pounds in them instead of 4.7, your day's done, right? I mean, all the people that touch these teams and touch the success and contribute to the success of a race program, it, it can't be overstated. And I don't want to, uh, again, I don't know Dylan Cromwell extremely well. Uh, I believe we've met in passing a handful of times. Incredible young man uh, by all accounts who contributed, like I said, in his own way to the success of Jim Head Racing's operation first class dude. I love seeing guys when I was going through photos, I love seeing guys that, that smell like money, right? I, that was some advice that was given to me early in my, my career that like, Hey man, dress the part, look nice, right? Tuck your shirt in, look good, you know, be professional. You're here to do business. And I love that when I see young people that are doing exactly that black slacks, nice crude uniform, well-kept, they got their hair fixed, right? I mean, this is, this is a business to a whole lot of us, not to everybody, but being at the racetrack for many of us is a business environment. And I love to see people living that part, living up to that. And it's a real tragedy. And I just want to offer my sincerest condolences on behalf of everybody here at the West Buck Show, Drag Illustrated Magazine, my family, all of our families uh, to, to Dylan's family and friends and his team, teammates at uh, Jim Head Racing. What a what a tough situation. But again, Mike, JT, we talk about this all the time. And we had Dave Comstock mention this, right? Daddy Dave, during our ride along last Monday night, he drives his stuff to the track himself yep. because he doesn't feel like he can trust anyone else to do it. Yeah, and it's a big responsibility. It's and a we, huge responsibility. You and I know, Wes, that getting to and from the track is as difficult <clears throat> and possibly as dangerous as being at the track itself. And so this is a reminder of that. I saw someone comment on 
one of the posts about this tragedy that this it's a miracle this doesn't happen more often really is uh, that this this kind of thing with these rigs going up and down the road um Many and, miles as they go yeah, yeah and it's all crisscrossing the country back and forth multiple times a year so a real tragic deal and you know especially for that team and uh, like you said blake being a young guy himself i'm sure that this is hitting him especially hard but and i saw in the comments someone said um that he should be a 30 under 30 member or something to the effect. We do have something special planned for him for this issue. It's the, we feel like it's the least we can do. It's uh, but what a tough, what a tough, tough loss for our industry. And we talk about how hard it is. Like good helps hard to find. I mean, everybody says that if you've ever been in business for yourself, but I mean, a lot of these teams experience this all the time that you can't find uh, good, young, motivated help. And it's just, it's such a tragedy when one, that is exactly that's taken from us. Yeah, this guy a, had gone, he had right here in my backyard to uh, NASCAR Technical Institute here in Mooresville to train. Uh, I think he was actually from Montana originally, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so from the other side of the country to to uh, the East Coast here to train and to kind of embed himself in the racing industry and was working his way through it. So you have to respect that too. Someone that didn't just, you know, hope to get on with the skills they had. He was working to uh, build skills and to improve and work his way up. And when I think about young kids like this, making the investment and their parents making the investment to send their kids to a technical institute or send them to some sort of specialty college, man, it just, it fills my, my heart fills my, fills me with joy and pride because it's like, we we've often wondered like, who's the next Jason line. Who's the next Alan Johnson. Who's the next super tuner. Right. And they're out there. And they're, they're driving trucks, they're working on cars, they're backing cars up from burnouts, they're lifting the body. There are young men and women out there that aspire to be our sport's next high-level crew chiefs, next high-level crew members, car chiefs, and so on and so forth, team owners, right? And it's uh, a real tragedy, and I just I want to send my, uh, you know, again, our well wishes, uh, Godspeed to everybody involved, such a tough, tough situation. And I tell you what, JT... Mike, we're not gonna we're not gonna we're not gonna get excited just yet. We got a little bit more bad news to talk about. Uh, really rough weekend, like I said, in the sport of drag racing, in many ways. Lots of good stuff going on, no doubt about it, and we'll certainly talk about those things. But it would be uh, criminal for us not to talk about the the lives lost at an airport race this past weekend. Airport race wars, a crash. Uh, unfortunately took the lives of two young children, injured about six other people down here actually in Kerrville, Texas, which unfortunately I wasn't super familiar with. I guess it's a, it's a, a small town outside of Austin, Texas. Uh, I think two or three hours away from me here in Fort Worth. What a, what a gut wrenching situation to, to find yourself in, man. And I, I think that there's a lot we could probably spend the next two hours, guys, talking about this particular Good. situation. It feels like people, our community is a little bit up in arms. It immediately gets pointed at no prep. Was the condition of the track the problem? Was the Who's at fault? Um, There's well, been some airport. arguments. Yeah. It's an airport uh, to begin with, not an actual drag strip, which I think is the first We've been to those. And anytime yeah. there's there's a temporary, you're making something temporarily into a drag strip and you're trying to make it safe, I think is is uh sort of the first thing that uh that that makes this this type of thing happen um i don't know any of the details about it i heard that it was past it was at the end of the track right past yes. the past the barriers which uh you know there are tracks here in north carolina that the barriers stop at the finish line or the guardrail mm -hmm. they've got like armco guardrails that stop at the finish line and then it's an open 
area. And it's just one of those things that I think is a relic of the past that you don't think about. And you, you're, you know, you're concerned with something happening on the actual racing surface, but, and it just, the, this seems to remind me also of some of people, they, they probably weren't aware of the danger they were in and that a million, like, especially percent, yeah. these yeah, kids. Yeah, and that is the biggest tragedy to me is that probably even the parents weren't aware of what could go wrong and that their particular position uh, on the side of the track or whatever may have happened was possibly the, the most dangerous. And that is just, that's gut wrenching. We are just, not the court of law, no. but I will tell you that in my opinion, there's a lot of blame to go around. These situations are extremely unfortunate as a parent of two, a father of two. Uh, I cannot, I cannot even begin to imagine what these people are going through and the loss that they're experiencing, that my children are the focal point of my life. I literally can't imagine uh, what these folks are going through. And, and they were just trying to do something with their kids, yeah, a fun event with their them. kids and bring yep. them and trying to introduce them to this. Maybe maybe they're hot rodders or, or car people and want to introduce their kids to it. And this is what happens. That's it's. It, I will say that there is a lot of... So I do think, first and foremost, these are... This is the type of bad publicity. I know that this is there's there's a lot to unpack here. First and bleed, foremost, it bleeds, if it bleeds, right. it leads. We saw a lot of talk about that. I actually did a Google News search and I counted like 25 before I'd gone a couple pages and I counted like 20, 25 different small news outlets that had reported on this incident, you know, calling it a drag racing related death. Right. I don't think it's fair. I understand yeah, any, that maybe technically that happens on the street or any kind of thing. Even two people just leaving a stoplight and side by side. It is a drag race, drag race which and is the same uh, term they use when they're describing, you know, NHRA championship racing. So it's tough. I think that we have to. That, and that's why these things are such a process. And it, it's it's frustrating because it's a, it takes time to educate folks. But I do. I understand that it's easy to get mad and a little bit frustrated at all these news outlets that are so quick to report on a drag race when it involves life and death and someone's been hurt or injured. Everybody comes out of the woodworks to tell that comes out of the woodwork, excuse me, to tell that story. But you can have a drag race 20 minutes away that everything good happens at and it's crickets from those news outlets. And it's easy to to vilify, I think, those news outlets. But this is a lot of this is, I mean, it's not a new revelation. It's not a new thought process. Bad news travels fast. I mean, honestly, that's something that's in our DNA. I mean, we've done that. Humans have done that since we found, we, since we arrived on this earth out of self-preservation yeah, to save ourselves. Instinct. I mean, it's a self-preservation instinct to make sure that everybody knows what bad thing happened. And it's, it's a tough thing, but it is human nature. So I don't, I don't totally fault all those folks, all those news people for, for latching onto this story. I do think though, however, I, I thought to myself, what could we do as a community to reach out to all those news outlets and maybe bring them out to an organized drag race, a really well-organized drag race, maybe an event at the Texas Motorplex or something. Maybe but the I team- think they, I don't think they, they care. They don't care. They don't, too, I think they, you have to make them- It's too much investment. It is work. too much of an yeah, investment. I mean, this is easy. They're yeah. doing what they, what they want to do. They want to throw, throw the blame on something But how? Or, but but that could be but said they, about they, every they, single they thing. Want, but they just want a headline. They do want a headline. I agree with that. But I would argue that if we could create an environment where we could welcome them out and bring them out, maybe, hey, we're going to put on a luncheon. We're going to have some sort of driver experience. We're going to bring Frank Hawley's Drag Racing School in for for the day. And we're going to give everybody, you know, rides in a drag store or whatever and get and win some people over. I mean, it doesn't that doesn't happen automatically. 
right? You got to bring those people out. You got to find a way to entice them, telling them that you're going to have some sort of thing at the motorplex isn't enough. I mean, you have to find a way to bring those people out and educate them about our sport. I mean, and that's why most huge organizations and most very successful organizations have like a PR, have like a outreach team. They have a team of people that are dedicated to telling their story and educating the masses and getting people invested and involved. But in, if we're not doing that, we can't really be mad that this is the only coverage we get. You know, I mean, I don't really know that unless we're going to try to do something different or try to offset this with some sort of positive outreach program, I don't think that we can be too upset that because it's one thing to send an email and say, like, hey, Texas News Daily or whatever, hope you come out to the racetrack. And that's a step in the right direction. But I really believe it goes much further than that. You've got to find a way. People have a lot, a lot, a lot of opportunities, you know, to do other things. I mean, they could go to a barbecue cook-off and probably get some free food. That's probably not what they're going to get when they go to a drag race, right? They're going to stand in line for two hours at a concession stand because the media center is 79 degrees and full of lukewarm water. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like we have to create an environment for these media members. And I'll speak from experience. I mean, I can't count the number of times I've shown up at an NHRA drag race and felt like a freaking bother to go into the media center, right? I mean, like literally yeah. where you're treated like an outsider, you're not part of the clique or whatever, you're not part of the club. And I mean, if I can't imagine if I was just some random news reporter and I roll into like the media center at a typical NHRA drag race, I would turn and run the other way because <laughs> no one's going to say hi. No one's going to welcome you warmly. I mean, that's not going to happen. You're going to get ignored. You're not going to have a place to sit. You're going to get treated like an alien or an outcast. Like you've got a horn growing out of your head because you're not part of like the, 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 the existing the traveling, traveling tribe, which is, that's great that that exists, but I don't think drag racing by and large, this is where people like the PDRA come to mind. i I always find it funny. I'll, uh, I won't even be at a PDRA national event, right? But I'll get like a text message from Judy Franklin or I'll get tagged in a post on social media. Lunch is served yeah. in the media center. Yeah, me too. And I it's get like, all those notifications. And that's I'm like, such oh, man, a, that's such a breath of fresh air because yeah. that doesn't exist most places. There's and no I, coincidence that the most successful organizations uh, and tracks are the ones that are best with the media. I mean, Mike, I just want to, and we've got to talk about this specific rec real quick, but do you remember our experience at the Red Bull Air Race in San Diego, California? Oh, yeah. I always use that as an example of how it's done. Mike and I traveled across country. We actually applied for media credentials to Red Bull, quite the process, said that we wanted to attend the Red Bull Air Race in San Diego as members of the media. We were a drag racing outfit, but we wanted to go see how they did things, compare and contrast, tell stories, et cetera, experience this their This is like event. one year into Drag Illustrated's existence. We arrive so in we're, San Diego, we're, we're California. Reaching. We arrive in San Diego, California, and we are immediately treated like royalty by the Red Bull staff, by the Red Bull Air Race staff. Everybody involved couldn't wait to help us, couldn't wait to give us some sort of special treatment or special vantage point, whatever they took could us, do. Took us to the, uh, to the hangars and, and sort of gave us a, a crash course on how this deal works. Because we didn't know anything about it. Wine and they and understood and, that yeah. we didn't know anything about us. They were trying to get us drunk. And all <laughs> they were trying to do was make sure that we had a great experience. Right. We had a memorable experience and we would go share that. I don't believe that's happening for the most part in drag racing anywhere. 
anywhere. I don't think that that's happening anywhere in our sport is a concentrated, focused effort being made to bring the media out, show them a good time, make sure they have a memorable experience, make sure they connect with somebody. I, I don't see that very often. I don't hardly see it ever. I can count maybe a handful of times that I've seen a real PR expert at work, bringing a media member in and saying, hey, I'm going to embed you with a team for a couple of hours and let you see the inner workings here. And hey, it's when you're usually, done, come up to the tower. Yeah. I got some cold beer up here and some great food. I mean, I don't see that effort being made. So I never get too upset when I see the media pay us no mind because I don't think we're paying them any mind. Right. You know, and I think NH, this it's is usually a, not the NHRA themselves that do that either. It's usually falls onto the tracks or even the like the team PR reps. That's, yeah, and that, I believe in reciprocity. Like <clears throat> I believe yeah. that you get what you give. And if drag racing as a whole would give more to the media and be more welcoming, I think we would get more in return. Speaking and I think until whole, that changes, this is what we're going to deal with. This whole conversation, someone, I'm trying to scroll up to find this conversation. Here we go. We're going to talk about the USGP NHRA, where's our Netflix documentary. This goes back to that too. And I thought about that this whole weekend while watching the bonanza that was the F1 uh, Grand Prix in Austin, Texas, and just seeing what, 140,000 on Sunday and something like two or 300,000 throughout the weekend. And I thought to myself, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, how uh, ratings for F1 in the U.S. alone have climbed dramatically, and we believe it to be on the backs of the Netflix documentary. And we yeah. have said many times that if, if we can get a Netflix NHRA documentary, we could possibly see the same pop from, from that type. I, of I think you could. I think well, you there's could. There's no doubt. Sure. I mean, that's what we're saying, though, is like, and I saw Shit, some pay for it. guys you know, NHRA in should go pay for it. Right. You know, I don't, it, I mean, it would really do that much good for them. If so I'm the NHRA, I'm saying, defense. hey, we've got a hundred dollar yeah. bill in an envelope for every member of the media and cold <laughs> beer. Like I'm literally paying these people to come because we can't, we can't expect them to just carve out time on their Saturday, right? And oftentimes pretty tough weather conditions. It's 90 degrees out. It's hot, you know, and just come hang out and take it all in. I mean, there are probably a handful of people who have done that over the over you know the course of time. But when I go to an NHRA national event and I see the media center full of the same folks that I see every time I go to one and I don't see any local media, I don't get mad at the local media. I get mad at the NHRA because there's clearly not an effort being made to bring those folks out. And I think until we do that, we're going to deal with a, if it bleeds, it leads type of scenario. Every street racing death, every Sporty, street racing accident, good, good it that. gets pointed. It gets pointed at drag racing. We get lumped in with that crowd because we're not doing anything on our, we have to take responsibility for this stuff, right? We can't just point the finger at everybody else. I mean, I'm a look at myself in the mirror kind of guy. And I think the sport of drag racing has to look at itself in the mirror and say, hey, are we doing, are we really doing Doing what's necessary to educate the the non motorsports media about what we do and the efforts that have. I mean, our sport is crazy safe. I mean, we've seen some insane crashes that people have walked away from. I'm reminded of Robert Gallegos this past weekend at Extreme Raceway Park puts his 41 wheelies on its lid, nose first, front end first into the guard wall, concrete guard wall, smoke, fire, crazy impact, climbs out of the car and. By all accounts, I mean, he literally told me, he was, man, I didn't, I'm fine. I don't even have an ache or a pain, right? I mean, he was going damn near 200 miles an hour when that thing went over on its lid. So I'm going, our sport is crazy safe, but we're not telling that story, right? We're letting, yeah. we're letting the uneducated masses tell the story for us. So that's, 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 a, dangerous, lose, that's a dangerous yeah. thing. And I think that 
you know, and I, I don't want to make this all about how thought, it impacts I, I, the sport I, I of drag racing. Like Sporty did a great job at that. Like when we were at Denver, you know, he Sporty Vandermeer for the he un, got, he, uninformed. Yeah, he got tons of people involved uh, in the local I'm media. You, what you have to do, you know? tracks, do it. We're getting a lot of feedback on the F1 comment. Someone said F1 racing is terrible, but yet Horrible. here they are. And, and, you know, to the outside untrained eye, and it's not a hardcore drag racing fan, you could say the drag racing has the same problem. But we have to educate them on why what they're seeing is amazing and why the personalities that are driving those cars are amazing. Difference that in the classes. The, exactly. And so they that's can follow the along because, the, you know, if you here's the, the other aver thing, average like, fan out to the track, <clears throat> it's, it's going to be hard for them to really follow along, you know. Here's the other thing, and I'm going to rant about this for a minute because I think it's worth noting. The other, the, what are we doing having these races at airports with the guardrails, with water-filled plastic right. guard walls, right, that it end at the end of the racing surface? There should be someone, and I'm not trying to point fingers at the NHRA all the time, but like who's telling these people what they're doing is wrong? I've talked to literally last week, I talked yeah. to an NHRA track owner who told me he hasn't heard anything from the NHRA in two years. Not a call, not a screw you, not a check-in, not a do you need more decals, nothing. And that's an NHRA track owner, right? Like, what are we doing? These, these people may not know better. Maybe the guy that put on this race doesn't know any better. I mean, even if you go to an, a no-prep Kings race, guess what they do? They prep the shutdown. Mm -hmm. that's right. where that rolling resistance is more important than that, anywhere that, else. Right. Uh, I mean, you don't have that? to prep the runway, but um, you probably Tyler. ought to get a sprayer out there Dan and Lyle. spray the shutdown so that they have an opportunity to have some sort of rolling resistance, some friction to help them slow these cars down. I mean, a lot of times also let's not, you know, forget how many top end accidents we've had. Anytime I have a photographer request top end access, I tell them no, like I'm not, there is no photo, no parachute photo ever that is worth being down there. And anybody who argues that, I believe, doesn't really understand the life and death scenario that exists at the shutdown of a racetrack. I mean, multiple times over the course of the last few years, I've heard horror stories of guys getting swept up in parachutes. And these are officials, right? A car comes around into the shutdown. Parachutes are kind of dragging, blossoming, catching a little bit of air, swoops up a crew guy, or swoops up a, a track personnel member or a track crew guy, breaks their legs, hurts them badly. That area of the racetrack is so crazy dangerous. And I just think that we have to continue to tell this story and try to make sure people understand that that's a dangerous area. There should never be seating down at the top end of a racetrack there should never be i would argue that there shouldn't be people close to the track beyond 60 feet i mean if you're going to have people down on the starting line it needs to be why the cars are going slow and even then it's crazy dangerous we stayed up towards the front when we went to one remember that wes yeah man i mean I'm not yeah, going down there. They, they put event. one guy they put one guy behind the wheel of one of the fastest vipers like at that was yeah. there and just in case he had to drive his own car he was an owner and someone else was going to drive his car but in case they got paired against each other they put him in there. This guy couldn't even back into the water box that they'd laid. Remember that? He had a cone yeah. stuck under that Viper. And I was like, Jesus, they're going to. Right. And they're, they're literally, there's no guardrails. It's yeah. interesting because I think there's a lot of positives that have come from these airport races. I've had a lot of people tell me that. Um, I mean, and hey, listen, well, I, I, awesome. I do see some people saying, we're not heavy as the head that wears the crown, right? When you're the biggest 
when you're the big game in town, you're going to have to be willing to take some criticism. And we're not at all here. I'm the no one applauds the NHRA more than I do. We talk about it all the time. It is the big show. I have routinely tipped my cap and kissed the ring. Whenever we put on an event, what do we do? We run NHRA rules and we're not insecure about it, right? I, I talk all the time about NHRA runs the best events in drag racing. They do so many things so freaking well, better than anybody else. Every sanctioned series and promotional body in drag racing aspires to do what the NHRA does, right? But they are the final word. They are the, they are the big, they're our major league. And so when things like this happen or when issues exist, they're probably going to shoulder some of it. They're going to have to wear some of that. And that's fine. I mean, we're not here to bash the NHRA ever. We're their biggest fans. There's no doubt about it. But in this particular situation, and I'm not saying it's the NHRA's, I think it is, but I do think that there needs to be someone who is reaching out. Like, is someone scouring the internet going, hey man, there's 82 unsanctioned outlaw airport races that are going to go on in the United States this year. Who's calling those people to make sure that they know, right? That they know, hey, here's some of the, here's like, here's our little rubric. Some guy to have a safe race. Yeah. Here's a guideline. Because I would argue that a lot of these people, they don't know drag racing is notoriously reactive. They don't know until something bad happens. Right. 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 Like, like Jason said in the comments, you know, the, and the promoters of some of these things, they're, they're just wanting to get their cash. Yeah. You know, I was, I was why is it run to get on, in, you know, why is it run on an airport to begin with? We have plenty of drag strips, right? I mean, I don't know what was unique about this event, what that they were doing. And so, Vernon Christie made an interesting comment up here that maybe he can elaborate on. He said he looked into the safety of one of these events a few years ago. Long story short, he was told to mind his own business. The events are run under NHRA sanction of promoters home track. I don't know exactly what that means, but um, it is like you said, Wes, someone calling around or, or figuring this stuff out. That's another uh, that's almost another salary that's got to be paid and i understand that, that that is it's and tough but it's so hard to, to I mean, do this is what the nhra was built on the back of getting people off streets off those unsafe circum uh surfaces and into a controlled right. environment i mean it just that's what that's what their job is and i think that that there probably needs to be a job title there like somebody VP of outreach or event outreach or whatever, like reaching out to these smaller sanctions and series, these events that maybe need some guidance, don't know how to, I mean, and it's not all safety. Like maybe they don't know how to run a race. Maybe they don't understand how to manage the staging lanes. Maybe they don't know how to manage racers. And maybe that's what they're wanting. Jason Reese says it's about no prep, the, about the lack of rules, but. I, I mean, think he might be a little bit sar sarcastic on that. Comment. Well, I mean, I, I, okay. I think. I mean, well, no, I mean, and maybe that's why they're at the airport in the first place. That's why I asked, oh, what, well, you know, maybe. what's the, what, what are they, what type of event are they trying to have there? Well, I think that there is, but this speaks to something that we've talked about a couple of weeks ago with Dr. Jamie Meyer, president of the performance racing industry. Um, there is a, there's a certain divisive thing that exists here. You know what I mean? In our sport where everybody, like, I think that this is a direct reflection of people feeling like there's not a place for them in NHRA. There's not a place for them at their local racetrack and that to do the type of racing they want to do, they got to go to these airports or they got to go to places like this. And I think that there needs to be an effort being made to educate these folks that like, Hey, listen, you can go to your local drag strip, a place that's got concrete retaining walls. They're going to keep your car on the track and that's in back case to why it loses NHRA traction. exists in the first place. Now a million like, percent. That's why Wally parks, 
uh, invented NHRA is this exact reason. So, but yet we're talking about how it's come kind of full circle and gone the other way where this is what people are seeking out. They're seeking out no prep outlaw airport races. I think so there's a lot of layers of ongoing to it. I, mean, I, think that, that we, I don't know that if you remember this, um, probably Street three racing. years ago, JT, we had Ron Moen on the show from Vengeance Racing Engine or yeah. Vengeance Racing down outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And Ron was talking about some of the issues they face building these high horsepower streetcars that still have like a lot of creature comforts and guys drive them on the streets, but they run sevens in the quarter mile or they run eights oh, yeah. in the quarter mile. And it's like, how do we, we've got to find a way because the problem, and I think a lot so of they're the making reason, tons of power anymore. They're making I tons mean, of power, oh very drivable, relatively drivable easy, power. drivable power. And they've got a car that'll run eights or nines the in the quarter deal, mile. That we talked about that too. Yeah. These are like cars that are crazy fast. It is. And those guys don't want to put a roll cage in their car. You know what I mean? They don't want to put a parachute on it. They don't yeah, want they to don't do want all, the all these things. Yeah. Yep. And so how do we circumnavigate that? How do we figure that out? And I think that that's a conversation that, you know, I think for anybody who says we want to bash something, that's not what we want to do. We just want to have these discussions. That's it. I mean, I'm not saying we're right all the time. I just think that these discussions need to be had. I mean, I think that there needs to be an answer for the guy that, you know, literally has a nine second. I mean, it could be a bone stock Tesla. I mean, I think by nature, by the letter of the law, that car needs a freaking roll cage in it. It needs a parachute in it. It needs wheel studs. It needs a drive shaft loop. Electric cars don't have drive shaft loops, but like drive shafts. But I think you get my point, right? Yeah. Like that, that car is illegal the moment it rolls through the gate. And I just think we've got to find a way to kind of bridge that gap a little bit. Um, at least that's my opinion. And I do want to just kind of circle back to the situation at hand, uh, an absolute tragedy this past weekend at the airport race wars. Another thing that I think we all need to be aware of, and this is something that until you've been in this situation, I don't know that you really are, that there's a, the responsibility of a race promoter is extremely significant, right? I mean, and it's nothing that I think anybody can take lightly. When you're the one organizing one of these events, when you're the one putting the money up, when you're the one promoting this and people are clamoring to go be involved in your event. I think it's a big responsibility that oftentimes race promoters don't really get the credit for or the respect that they deserve because, you know, if someone gets hurt, some horrific incident like this happens, they're never going to forget about it, right? I mean, they're forever going to have to live with the fact that someone got hurt at their event, someone lost their life at their event. And I think it's honestly, um, I mean, it changes the course of some people's lives, Right. I mean, I think that there's not a promoter alive that wouldn't tell you a story about a wreck or a, a story about something that really shook them to the core that kind of happened under their watch. And I do think that, you know, maybe there needs to be and maybe this is something that Drag Illustrated can spearhead. We've worked on this in the past, guys, you know, to put some sort of committee together, some sort of group together that that tries to help these Maybe I don't want to, I don't say this like in a derogatory, but uneducated or ignorant to the ins and outs of how these events are run safely and without, without injury. Maybe there needs to be somebody doing some of that outreach or paying attention when schedules start to go out early next season. Like, Hey, there's all these races that are going on at airports there's that so don't have guardrails. That, that, that I mean, we don't, that we won't be able to find, you know, like it's a tough. lot of these, yeah, a lot of these are, you know, not promoted even, you know, uh, well, Slowpoke you know, 96 so. Z28 says race wars is a long-standing entity that's been around for decades that accepted the tuners drifters four cylinders etc that weren't accepted or aren't accepted by the traditional v8 murica crowd that's an interesting point too yeah and that just that's again though, asking, doesn't that speak to some of this divisiveness that right. exists in our industry yeah. where 
I mean, honestly, I, I like drag, I like import drag racing. I like, this is where I get so frustrated with this group of people that hate on the no prep Kings thing, you know, man, they're drag racing. They're one of us like it or not. I understand that. I think there's room for everybody. I really do. I love to see car culture expanding like it is. I loved the the sport compact import craze. I loved what Fast and Furious was doing for our industry, right? These are fantastic things. And even if you don't like Hondas or you're not into Toyota Supers or whatever, that's okay. Burnouts, I mean, all these things, drag racing, side-by-side competition. I don't really care what kind of car. I like diesel drag racing. I like all of it. You know, I mean, we all are going to have our preferences, but we can accomplish a month a lot more as a united group of people. And I understand, again, this is a little bit of a pipe dream on my behalf, but I just believe that a high tide lifts all boats. What's good for NHRA is good for no prep kings and vice versa all across the board. Uh, and I just want to, you know, in kind of closing, give our uh, our well wishes to everybody that was involved with this tragedy in Kerrville. Uh, absolutely terrible. Can't imagine how anybody involved, the driver of the car, the promoter of the event, the family of those affected, really scary deal. But uh, I tell you what, let's move into some more exciting, positive, upbeat stuff, my guys. Uh, we've, uh, we've been going for a minute here and right on time. I'm not at all surprised at all that we are joined right now by the one and only. I'm going to dive right into this. Hold on. I'm getting texts from my producer. What are you texting me, JT? Oh, that's <laughs> oh, fine. Yeah, thanks. I'm also getting all sorts of messages for Brittany Force's phone number, um, which is kind of comical. I'll make sure that she knows that there's a whole lot of guys on the World Wide Web that want Brittany's phone number. I'm sure she can't wait <laughs> yeah, to give it out gonna, here on, yep. the, on the World Wide Web, right? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, uh, the woman of the hour who's been at the incredible story for the sport of drag racing has had an incredible year here in 2021 really making a strong run as we head toward the finish line as we head toward these last couple races of the season ladies and gentlemen let's give it up for Brittany force Brittany, what's going on hi thanks hey Brittany. hey thank you for being here you got the force camp let's give it up for sarah slaughter let's do a little like golf clap she this nice young back, lady backdrops right yeah yeah they kill it wow. with yeah, the backdrops <laughs> right they kill it with the backdrops unbelievable um well thank you so much for being here we've got a lot to cover uh in a relatively short amount of time i know you have a bunch of stuff going on today so thank you for uh taking your time to be with us i got to go back to dallas made the fifth quickest run in the history of top fuel drag racing in dallas you've had 11 number one qualifiers this year if you go number one in the last two races of the season Brittany and vegas and pomona you'll make history with i believe 13 number one qualifiers in one season eight straight number one qualifiers at uh, one point this season i'm curious how much are you guys leaning into David Grubnick's just swinging for the fences mentality? Is that the best way to win out here? Just be faster than everybody else? Uh, that definitely is David Grubnick's mentality. That's always how he's, how he's been. Um, he, he wants the, that number on the board every single time we pull up there. Every single time we run, he wants the best number he can get. Um, in the beginning of the season, middle of the season, you know, we debated, you know, should we pull it back and, you know, play it safe because we'd be struck. We have these great number one qualifiers, but then we'd struggle on race day and it didn't seem to help us out. So he thought maybe let's change our focus. Let's not try to throw down every single run. Um, let's just play it safe and get our car in there and see if we could win on Sunday. And it did not work for us. So we went back to every time we pull up there, we want to be the number, you know, number run of the night, low of, low of the session, 
and grab as many points as we can. That's what we've been doing. Um, we've had a string of number one qualifiers, which is a huge accomplishment for this team. That's just awesome to have that and track records. But really, uh, we're looking for, we want to win Vegas. We go straight into Vegas and actually we leave tomorrow. And we're looking for a win there. And ultimately, we want to go up to that number one spot. Do you think that how much we, we talk about this a lot, and I think it's a fun conversation to have the whole, I don't care who's in the other lane. I honestly think that you guys are kind of living that by running so aggressively. I'm just curious, like, do you feel, I think we saw it a little bit in St. Louis. It was really fun watching. I think it was the final round of qualifying, or maybe it was Saturday morning. I can't remember which one it was, but it was just, everybody was one upping one another one after another. Everybody was kind of stepping on it a little bit more, a little bit more. Do you think that is an advantage? I mean, obviously being number one qualifier is always going to be an advantage to race 16 in the first round. But as you go deeper into the rounds and the competition intensifies, do you think that just knowledge in the back of other people's head that Grubby and yourself are able to throw down low ET or a world record run at any given moment. I mean, do you think that gets in people's heads? Do you kind of enjoy that? Absolutely. I think it puts them, uh, puts it in their head. It lets them know what we're capable of. Um, you know, if we could run those good runs. Friday nights typically are best. It's the best condition when the track is cool, temps are cool, and we have killer runs. Um, Saturday's the tricky tricky one. It's usually that Q2 we're really aiming uh, for a great run because that'll be the closest to race day. So that's where we really got to set up. That's where we really have to run. That's the important one. But absolutely, I think um, anytime you put a great number on the board and you're low of that session, people are going to look and they're going to try to push and, and they want to be up in that fight with you. Sponsor-wise, um, you guys have been promoting the heck out of your relationship with monster energy. Uh, I got to tell you, it's for me, it's like a real point of pride to know that there is a drag racer that is an ambassador for monster energy drink, right? You see that brand associated with all these major sports, all these super successful sports. I'm just curious. I know we talked a little bit about how much you've, this has been many moons ago, but about how much you personally had to do with the development of that, that relationship. And I guess I'm just curious, Brittany, how proud of you to wear that big green M on your chest and on the side of that dragster uh, these days, how much does that mean to you to represent such a big, successful, powerful brand? Thank you. Thank you very much for that. Um, not only are we sponsored by Monster, but we're also sponsored uh, by Flavor Pack. So we split the season, half Flavor Pack, half Monster. And I'm very proud that we're both, um, especially Monster. It's, um, we got our start with Monster back in 2015. That relationship started, um, I want to say, beginning of our season is when they came on board in Atlanta with us. So they've been you know, running with us for quite some time. Flavor Pack's a new one that stepped on board, but I'm very proud of both of them. Um, you know, Flavor Pack's new to the sport, so that's great. It shows that, um, you know, companies are still looking new at brands. Yeah. the value in our sport and, um, you know, what these race cars could do and just the excitement around it. And with Monster, who's already been in, you know, who's all in these extreme sports, um, I'm proud to wear them. They are all about extreme anything, and there's nothing more than uh, any car drag racing. 330 miles per hour in less than four seconds. You can't get crazier than that, so proud to you know, be teamed up with them as well. Do you feel like you have a rivalry with Steve Torrance? It's been you and Steve at the top of the heap since 2017. Do you think that's a rivalry? Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, we've battled it out a handful of times. He's won, um, you know, a few uh, championships in a row, three in a row, Sarah told me. <laughs> I don't remember off the top of my head. He's won three in a row. 
uh, we got it in 2017 and, and it seems like we keep coming up to the top. It, it's, it's, you know, the two of our teams, that's that Capco team and this Monster Energy Flavor Pack team that are fighting for that number one spot. He's an incredible driver. He's got a great team over there. It's not going to be easy, but we are going to battle this out. We want to grab that number one. We want to steal it and uh, we want to put the number one on our car next season. What do you make of how well our sport seems to have navigated this global pandemic, right? I mean, I was proud of our sport last year. I don't think it's any surprise. Drag racing is chock full of like fairly conservative folks that are, you know, blue collar and kind of choose to go their own way. And I remember feeling so proud in Indy many times last year when I, I know these aren't people that want to wear masks, but in order to go drag racing, they will do it. And I thought that really spoke to the passion and commitment of the drag racing masses, whether it be racers and team members, but also fans. Carrying that into 2021, Brittany, we've seen huge crowds throughout throughout the year. It's been fun to see. What do you make of the fan base right now? Because there's always a lot of hubbub about drag racing is dying and it's not what it once was. We argue quite frequently that we're living in the golden era of drag racing. I mean, I think this is, there's no better time to be a part of our sport than right now. I'm just curious, what have you make, what do you make, Brittany, of, of our fan following, the, the turnout we're seeing at a lot of these events, the Fox TV show seems to be doing extremely well. I mean, what do you make of the, the lay of the land right now? Uh, I think the turnout this season, coming off last season, um, where everything was up in the air, you didn't know what was happening. Um, to come back this season and see the crowds um, as they've been, I mean, just races completely sold out Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and just the fans that show up. I mean, pack the stands. It's pretty incredible. Um, it shows that they still love drag racing. They're coming no matter what. And, uh, you know, they're there to support it, to cheer us on. But um, it's just, I think our, I know our sport's growing. I mean, you you pull up there to the starting line and you could just, you see the fans that are there. And, um, you know, our show has gotten incredible over the years. It's, I think it's the best it's ever been. Um, and I think we're definitely moving in the right direction. There's a lot of potential here and we're still growing in that direction. What do you make of, we're seeing a lot of drivers really, like it seems like the attention to what goes on on the starting line has never been what it is right now. I mean, it's the reaction times that we're seeing. I don't know that anybody can do them that many times in a row. I mean, we're seeing some crazy stuff here. Uh, but how, as a driver, do you enjoy the fact that it seems to be, I mean, we just talked about David Grubnick, and I remember having a conversation many moons ago. I interviewed Alan Johnson. Uh, it would have been right after, like, the run. When was the run? 08, Mike? Mike, when was the run? I believe it was 07 or 08. Right. Okay. Thank you. Um, sorry. I just, I couldn't remember. So the run when Tony Schumacher had to like set the record, win the race to win the championship, right? Doug Collette in the other lane, I think probably one of the most iconic moments in the sport of drag racing. I remember Tony or excuse me, Alan Johnson telling me that his strategy was just to have the fastest car on the property. He wanted to nullify, like Tony was a great lever. Tony will be a great lever when he returns to our sport full time in 2022. Fantastic news. But he was a guy that was going to go like 40, 50, 60, you know, fairly consistently. But like I said, Alan liked to kind of nullify that and just smoke everybody. You've obviously got a crew chief that's capable of doing that exact same thing. But I'm curious, as someone who seems to really pride themselves on being a professional race car driver, Brittany, do you, are you excited about the onus falling more and more and more on the shoulders of the men and women in these cars? I think it shows, um, since I started, my rookie season was in 2013. Um, just since then, 
um, how competitive the sport has truly gotten when it comes down to the drivers in the car. Um, you know, years ago, races weren't won the way they are now, where it comes down to reaction times because the cars are running so identical. These crazy numbers that they're putting up on the board, but they're running that close together that it comes down to the driver and reaction time in the car. Um, it's definitely, it's not easy. It is the biggest challenge in driving one of these cars is staring at that Christmas tree, staring at that amber, and leaving when you have all this pressure, all this weight on your shoulders. And uh, you know that, like I said, it comes down to reaction time a lot of the time to win these things. It's funny, people like people love to talk about your dad, John Force, winning like what ten championships in a row or something. But I think they fail to, and I'm not. This isn't a knock, but it's like they fail to remember a lot of those races were like won and lost by tenths of a second. You know, it, it wasn't. I'm not trying to make light of the competition that existed back then, but I mean, I think even he would admit, and he has right here on this show, that we're in a whole new world out here. And it's, I find it interesting, and I appreciate you being candid with us and leaning into that because. I've we've made an argument a lot that I don't think the men and women that drive these cars really get the credit they deserve. You know, the untrained eye sees someone stabbing the gas pedal and driving in a straight line. We all know those of us that have been around the sport a long time that it's obviously much more significant than that I think one of the coolest things that I've seen in the last year was Tony Stewart uh, talk about how hard it is to do this and the, the order of events and the sequence of things that have to happen and have to be done exactly the same way every single time. I mean, what do you think is the biggest challenge that you face as a driver every time you climb in that car? Is it, is it focusing on the tree? Is it shutting out the crowd and the outside forces? Or, I mean, what is, what's the battle like for you? The biggest challenge is reaction time for me. Um, it's clearing your mind and completely staying focused. The second you have a thought pop in your head, you're dead. And it is so hard to go up there and stare at that tree and, and just be focusing on that, not thinking of anything else. Um, it's, it's difficult. Um, it's something I'm still trying to work out and figure out. I have good weekends and I have bad weekends. Um, so again, I just take the bad ones and I try to learn from them. I try to, you know, I use them to make me tougher and, um, you know, what went wrong? How do I fix that? Why do I come back from that? And I put it behind me and move on to the next one. I heard a thing this morning on some self-help podcast I was listening to, shocker. Um, <laughs> it said, without, uh, without wounds, there's no wisdom. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think a lot of times we want to like, we want to skip over all the bad stuff and all the stumbles, but we kind of, we don't rec we don't value those experiences maybe the way that we should, because they are what kind of catapult us or train us you know, to do better or find new ways to overcome things. I think it's an interesting thing because people really, you know, if it seemed like if we don't win the race, we're kicking rocks, we're down in the dumps. But if we've made progress toward the end goal of always improving, you know, living up to our kind of holding ourselves to a high standard, I mean, I think you have to attach some value to every whole shot loss or whatever unfortunate situation. Like there's something to be gained from those moments that will probably put you in a position to win somewhere down the line, or at least maybe I'm just like a, a kook, but I truly believe that. With what you're saying, I think I believe our, my biggest lessons are learned through my faults, through my mistakes, the weekends that I completely screw up. Um, my whole team, we, we sit down after each weekend, Sunday night and sit down and talk about, you know, the mistakes that are made and how do we fix them? How do we improve? We have to find something positive out of that. And it's learning how to not do that again, how to not repeat that. And move from it so i believe you know that's when lessons are learned are unfortunately in your mistakes it sucks it's not easy but um you know it makes you stronger 
Whenever you look at, uh, like, I think it could be argued, or at least my belief is that you've kind of done drag racing your own way. I think you could have found yourself behind the wheel of a top fuel car or a funny car, no matter what. You're, you're the daughter of John Force, the greatest to ever do it, the GOAT, right? But you have done this, in my belief, very much your own way. Like, I see it in how you carry yourself, how you handle yourself in interview, interviews. You're not just trying to replicate your father. You're not just trying to be that character. You have your credentials to teach, right? I mean, you, you've, you've developed a life for yourself away from the racetrack so that you could do your own thing or you could go your... How, how proud of you, or excuse me, how proud are you of having kind of forged your own path when it comes to the sport of drag racing? I remember your dad looking me square in the eyes and saying, hey... That monster deal, Brittany did. I didn't do it. And I thought, well, first I thought, really? You know what I mean? And because we all say that about our kids, right? I mean, I won't take credit for anything my kids do. I want them to get the credit. And he goes, no, you don't understand. She made that deal. How proud of you or proud are you? Excuse me. I keep saying it wrong. Of just what you've accomplished and in, in seemingly doing it your own way, Brittany. Um, I think it's, you know, you have to be kidding yourself. I think our fans and other competitors um, would know if you're not, if you're trying to be somebody else or trying to imitate somebody else. I think being your true, authentic self is, um, you notice it. You can see it and you know it's real. And um, I don't, my dad's crazy. He has crazy energy. That's just not me. That's not how I am. That's not how I operate. Um, Courtney's definitely more like him, my, my sister Courtney. But, um, you know, I just, I, I try to be as much as I can myself. Um, um, you know, a lot of the time they get backlash for it. People don't always love it. Uh, they want to, you know, they want something more for me, but, um, I, I believe the fans, uh, the fan, the fans know who we are. I, I think that authenticity is so slept on. I always feel like I can tell when someone's putting on an act, when they're, do, when they're being like a caricature of themselves, you, you know what I mean? It's, it's so funny. And it's, I, I genuinely enjoy, even if like your personality, I've said this to people before, like, hey, if you're kind of a sleepy, quiet person, just lean into it. Be that person. Like, just be an amplified version of yourself. Don't create some fake bogus character. Don't don't try to be something you're not. And I think people will will latch onto it. Okay, I know we've got limited time here and you've got other stuff to do, Brittany. I want to thank you again for being a part of this, uh, spending a little bit of time with us on Wednesday afternoon. Let's just go look look forward to Vegas. Let's talk about serious racing. Um, you guys clearly are in the hunt. Uh, have you had any? I mean, what what's the mentality right now? We talked to is it go qualify number one, lower the boom on these guys, run away with it, and and maybe try to not necessarily seal the deal, but let Torrance know like, hey, this is going to be a fight all the way to the bitter end. Absolutely, that's what it is. And our mentality going into this thing is. We are going to throw down. We are going to fight. There are two weekends left, and it's not just me as a driver, but every single one on board, every single one of these crew guys, crew chiefs, all of us. We are going to throw everything at it that we can't be making mistakes. We can't be, you know, we made mistakes in the beginning of the season. Those aren't for now. Now it's we are in the hunt for this championship, and um, you know, any little mistake will cost us, you know, winning this thing. So we're going to do the best that we can. We are pumped. We're excited to get to Vegas. Vegas, we actually won back in 2019. We've had success there. So that's always nice going into a race um, with that in the back of your mind that you, you know, succeeded there. You've done well. And uh, we're going to try to repeat what we did in 2019 and win this thing. 
What do you make of, you just talked about the whole team. You've talked, the whole team is on board with this. Uh, you know, earlier this week, we unfortunately lost a member of the racing community. Dylan Cromwell uh, was driving the, the Jim Head racing truck down the road, an accident there in Brownsburg, Indiana, uh, unfortunately claimed his life. I would love for you to let people know how much these team members mean. I think it's easy to like heap all the praise on Brittany Force, right? Heap all the praise on John Force. But there are so many people involved with each and every one of these teams that contribute in their own unique way. What do you make of your monster and flavor pack guys and gals? What do you make of this team? I mean, Sarah Slaughter off camera, your PR expert does a fantastic, it takes an, an army to do this at a high level. What do you make of your guys right now? They are family. They really are. They're um, you know, they're my 10 brothers that I uh, never knew I wanted, but um, they, we really are family. I mean, we're on the road together every single weekend. Uh, we eat dinners at 10 p.m. at night when we're down at the track. Uh, if we go into a weekend early, we try to, you know, go to the beach, do something fun. But really, it's um, they're my best friends. They're my family out there. We all have each other's back. They're some of the most incredible guys I've ever worked with. Those tough weekends I told you about. Um, you know, they pat me on the back and let's put it behind us. Let's move to the next one. And I've been there, um, you know, do, doing that same thing to them when, you know, situations have been different. So really it is, it really is, NHRA drag racing really is um, a family sport. And um, it, it, it's always been that way. That's the one thing I, I've always really loved about it is how, you know, family oriented it is. Uh, when I first got my start, um, when I was first driving a top wheel car, um, get testing in a top hill car, getting licensed. I had so many drivers, um, Morgan Lucas, uh, Tony Schum Schumacher, you know, come over to me um, when I was out there, you know, nervous as all heck to get in this car and just, hey, if you ever need any advice, my door's always open. Um, you're doing great. Love watching you. And we're excited to have you in the sport. And I think that really shows um, a lot about this sport. Um, it really is. It's so, it's a big family. Do you think you're... Today, Sorry, Brie. And it, we do, you know, at the end of the day, it's, yes, it's about winning, but as long as it's a safe day of racing, that's what, you know, everybody prays for. Do you think you're at your best in these moments when your back's against the wall? Are you talking going into Vegas? Yeah, going into Vegas and Pomona. Like, it's, we've seen you rise to the occasion in the past, right? We've seen you be the difference maker. And there's a ton of people in the comments right now saying like, oh, this is probably exactly how they want it. Uh, there's a comment here. Brittany appears to always have the most focus on the end game at the end when it matters. I mean, do you believe that about yourself, Brittany, that these are the moments that you, you shine it's brightest? It's tricky because in those final moments, those final races, when it comes down to that, um, the pressure's really on. In the past, back in 2017, we were in the same position. We were chasing Steve Torrance. We were number two. He was number one, and we were able to get around him. And it was collectively, I always say, it's a team effort. It takes everybody on board. I always get the credit for it. Crew chiefs get the credit, but it is all of us, you know, bringing everything to the line, everything we've got on those runs. And we did it all together as a team. We certainly think that this is when you're at your best. I mean, you sure make it exciting for all the rest of us, and it's so crazy. I mean, is this, for all the, there's a lot of people, a lot of differing opinions on the countdown, but I, I think that this is when you you have to step back and go, well, it works. I mean, I get there's a lot of, you know, different schools of thought regarding that. A lot of people like the traditional points earning, you know, whoever wins, wins. And that's if it's sealed in St. Louis, it's sealed in St. Louis. But 
For those of us like in the media business, content creators, we're going, oh, thank God, because we need these storylines and we need to have these conversations. So what do you think that this is uh, moments like this? Is this proof positive that the, the countdown format is doing its job? Absolutely. Um, like they, they changed it back years ago. I remember, you know, drivers locking it up, you know, mid-season, it seems like. And uh, now it comes down to typically Pomona. Um, and you will, we will pack the house at Pomona when it comes down to that. It definitely does make it more exciting for the fans. It makes it more stressful for the drivers, <laughs> but it's fun. I mean, it just shows that, I mean, the fact that we're in this hunt, that we are there and we have a shot at it, that's what's exciting for my team that we get to pull into Vegas and go, wow, this is going to end up one way or the other, and we're going to chase it down. We're going to throw everything we have into it. We want to win. But like I said, the, the amazing part is that we're in it. We have a shot at it. We talked briefly about the, the fanfare that we've experienced, the TV ratings, so many things being up, uh, all these other different parts of the drag race, of the drag racing world seemingly thriving. What, what do you make of the business of racing right now? It's something that we hear a lot about from your dad, corporate America. Uh, we could probably turn that into a drinking game as well. Every time we hear him say corporate America, pound one, um, and we'd be in trouble in a hurry. But what, what do you make of the business of racing here in 2021? Or we're kind of headed into budget setting season. Uh, I know that's like occupying our days here at the magazine. You're, you're talking to customers, kind of getting things in order for 2022 What's the business of racing like for you right now? I mean, what's your interaction like with your sponsors? You mentioned Monster and Flavor Pack. I know there's a lot of other companies that support John Forrest Racing and your program specifically. What's the business climate right like right now for you? Right now, we're just working. We're focusing. I mean, our all our attention is going into these last few races and trying to win this thing. But also, our attention is going into next season, setting up sponsors. Um, making sure we have a full season set up. It's not like it used to be back 20 years ago where, you know, uh, one sponsor would come in and fund a whole team. It's very rare to find that. It takes a lot of sponsors involved. And we, we have, John First Racing has an incredible group of sponsors that support us, that have teamed up with us. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, the season hasn't been end, ended yet, and we're already going into, you know, planning next I think that's interesting because it's not very often. Can you imagine like a pitcher for the New York Yankees having to like concern himself with like whether or not they're going to have a sponsor for the stadium next year? I mean, no chance. That's completely off their radar. And I think it does speak to the focus that so many of you in our pro ranks have that you're able to table those stresses or to the best of your ability or try to block them out. When, as you said, you're headed into, you know, hey, we got to win a championship. We can't worry about next year's budget or who's going to be involved or whatever. But it, it, I do think it speaks to the mental strength, the mental fortitude that so many of you have. Uh, it's, it's kind of an amazing thing because there's just not, I don't think there's too many other situations, maybe like a player in a contract year or something when they're feeling like they're playing for their future, they're playing for the with the pressure of trying to renew their contract or whatever. But I mean, that's you talk about that's a huge storyline that exists in stick and ball sports. The pressures of playing like that, and I just don't know that you guys and gals get the credit you deserve when it comes to being able to table that stuff on race day. Thank you. You definitely have to separate that those two. Um, you know, there's always added pressure, whether it's sponsorships or you know whatever it is that weekend out of the race, whether you're. You know, your sponsors come out to watch you that weekend. There's that added pressure. But um, you got to separate the two. When you're in the car, your focus is on driving that car, and, and that is it, and turning on that wind light. 
you guys appear to have a super tight-knit family, Brittany. Um, I see you guys vacationing together all the time. I've been loving seeing these videos of your dad interacting with his grandkids. It's like, I mean, it, it would appear that he likes doing that more than he likes drag racing. And I, I can relate. It's a spectacular thing to see. We've seen uh, Ashley have a family. Ashley Forrest, your sister, have a family. Courtney recently started a family. I'm curious, as a beautiful young woman, we got everybody in the comments here asking for your phone number. Um, you know, what, what is your future? I mean, do you have, what are your aspirations as you move forward? Obviously you want to win a world championship. There's no doubt about that. Do it again. Um, but I'm just curious, does that, it's such a unique situation for women that I don't, I don't know. I think I find it very interesting in top alcohol racing. We saw Megan Meyer having all this success winning like damn near every race she goes to winning championships. And then she just says like, Hey, I want to be a mom. This is on my list of what I want to accomplish. So I'm going to step away from racing. I found it very interesting. And I don't know that it really got the talk that I think it deserved because what a tough decision that men largely don't face. It's kind of screwed up, you know? I mean, men don't have to face that decision. Women do. But what what do you make of that? I mean, do you have a desire? I mean, I'm sure you do. I mean, but I'm just curious, is that on the radar, like for the immediate future? Or, or what do you take away from that whole situation? Uh, right now, my focus is on ending this season, these last two races, and coming out with a strong finish that our team is proud of. Obviously, that number one. That is what we are chasing. Down. Right. Um, as for kids, I'm not there yet. I want to definitely get hitched first before I do that. I don't know if that's in my future. I've always gone back and forth between, uh, you know, the kid thing. Uh, I love my nieces and nephews. Um, I'm not sure if it's for me. I don't know. Um, but right now, that would be, you know, laying in the future. I'm not there yet. Not thinking about that. I still love driving my race car. I still love being with my team and winning races. Um, that's where my focus is. And, um, yeah, it definitely is. I've watched both my sisters go through it. It's a tough decision. Um, very different from a man in the sport. Um, he could continue his season and get married, start a family, have kids, and um, still be out on the road. Um, my sisters had to make the decision to step out of the seat, um, just to even think about, you know, taking that next step and starting a family. So it is a lot. Um, you know, you've got to completely pull your career back, step out of it, and that seat might not be there when you, if you want to return, if you want to down the road. So that is a scary thought. Um, it's a lot to think about. Again, I'm not there yet. I'm still enjoying what I'm doing and uh, maybe down the road, but not yet. Well, two things. It's super expensive and it's a ton of work. So take your time. Trust me. I can tell you from experience. Um, okay. Enjoy it while, yeah. What'd you say? Driving one of these things or having babies? Having babies. I think it, it all goes together, maybe. I don't know. Like having kids... A lot of money and a lot of work. Driving a top fuel car, a lot of money, a lot of work. So, I mean, maybe it, maybe you're already trained to do it. Probably so. Well, hey, I appreciate your time so much, Brittany. Thank you very, very much. Uh, it's been a pleasure. I hope we get to do this again soon. Please send our well wishes to everybody. And uh, we'll see you at the drag strip very soon. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And, uh, yeah, um, I'd love to come on any other time. So. Let's do it. Thank you very much. Stay out of trouble. Tell Sarah thank you. Thank you. See ya. Sarah's one of the ones that I think does it right. Elin, Sarah, there's a hand, Woody, right? I mean, there's a whole bunch of these PR people that I think do a really good job for us and we don't get to see enough of them. I mean, I thank God for them. I'm sorry, Murder Tundra, I was clicking around on the, the deal. Don't stay uh, off the buttons, man. Stay, stay off the buttons. the buttons. Don't you think that was a good question at the end? I think I surprised you Absolutely. with that. Absolutely. I'm glad you asked that. Is, because no one talks I was going to jump in. I was going to jump in and ask if you didn't, because I always am curious about the future 
and how uh, she seems so focused, like someone made in the comments, on getting these championships. I wondered how long she plans to stay in the sport or what the end game is for her. And that's hard to ask anybody. It it's is. probably on a year-to-year basis or whatever, but um, especially for her, she said that she's polar opposite of her dad, and you get that feeling to where she's just – She's she's great with the fans and obviously very uh, well-spoken and, and kind with her time and everything, but she is focused. And it probably comes from that uh, other path that she took to the sport because it looked like for a while, I don't know if you remember, Wes, but back in like the mid-2000s or whatever, I think when Ashley first graduated up from, uh, from top alcohol to nitro, uh, I think there was some talk like that, I think court or uh, – Brittany had dabbled in it, but she was focused on getting her teaching degree and starting yes. a teaching career. Yep. And it looked like that she was going to be the one to kind of sit out the racing deal. And then Courtney was going to start, but then she came back in. So I'm not trying it? to start was some it, sort of 2015. Debate. Was it like 2015 when we put her on the cover? Wasn't yeah. It? So, yeah. I mean, she I just, had been just, doing it I just for found a while that, then, but I just found that picture and that was, that was super cool. I don't know if, I can, if you can see it on here. Oh yeah, that was. Oh great. yeah, I forgot about that. That actually was yeah. really cool. That was really cool. Yeah, that was I one forgot. of the first. Elon one sent of the me first that photo. Power mm-hmm. issues. I think that was like the second. Well, don't you think? But yeah, that's probably. a really interesting thing. Like you see all the time, like stories from Major League Baseball, stories from the NFL. Like guys are on the football field and their wife's at the hospital having their baby. Yeah. Right. You know right. what I mean? Like literally, they're on the playing field doing whatever they do, and their wife's at home having their child, and it's like. And it seems, and I'm not condemning anybody. It's, you know, hey, you got to earn a living, right? Got to pay the bills. But it does suck to think about being like a very promising young woman that like you're, it's very difficult to do both those things. I mean, I think about how big, look how big Courtney Force was and still is for the sport of draggers. She was on the cover of ESPN magazine's body issue, right? I mean, they were, she was, I mean, they've been on a, they've had their own reality show. I mean, this Courtney I mean, she starts dating Graham Rahal. She ends up marrying Graham. This is this great story. And I'm thinking to myself, like, we need her to drag race. <laughs> we need her to drag race as long as humanly possible. But, I mean, she's got to make that decision. Now we're wondering if she'll ever do it again, right? I mean, and I would say that there, the odds aren't in her favor. I, I don't think that so. Was... We, well, we saw that with Ashley as well. She she stepped away and never returned. And she's got a uh, a, a lot of skills outside of racing, too. She does all the... Uh, video production yeah and i think some other stuff at, at jfr so she's sort of she's right there uh behind the scenes in the sport and in the operation of that team i wonder if, if that's the the uh, end goal for Brittany as well but she does seem like the most laser focused on uh getting these championships and racing like you mentioned courtney with all the outside stuff it seems like Brittany's like y'all yeah, can do whatever. that part i'm racing this car I just think it's interesting because, and I thought it was cool that Brittany acknowledged it because man, there's some real truth to that, that you take a year off to go start your family. That seat's probably going to get sold or occupied by somebody else. And what are you going to do? Wait until they decide to have a kid or they decide to do something else. I mean, it's, it's not like there's a ton, right? There's not a ton of people, ton of opportunity for hired gun drivers, so to speak. So unless you're going to go field your own team and you kind of control your own destiny, man, that's a tough situation for a young woman to find themselves in, right? Where it's like, do I continue pursuing my dreams or do I do, do I start a family? It's just a really interesting thing. And I'm glad she was willing to open up a, a little bit for us there because I didn't know, 
Like that's the type of question that can internet end an interview. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? Like good thing you saved it for the end. Yeah. Cause <laughs> if I think if you ask that first, you may be like, Hey, I came on here to talk about Vegas and drag racing, not whether or not I want to get married. And I do think it's fun. I like to uh, acknowledge that the, I love that our sport, we're so lucky to have all these incredible ambassadors. And I think it's funny to like razz people that like there's people in the comments asking for her number. I've literally gotten a handful of texts from people saying, Hey man, don't, uh, don't have Brittany on the show without like getting her to follow me on Snapchat or <laughs> whatever. And I'm just like, it's so, it's awesome though. Right. I mean, I just think it's awesome that people genuinely have drag racers, like the fan base in our sport is so cool. I really do think so. Hold on. I'm getting a text right now. Speaking Brian Davis says she is VP of JFR. I think he's talking about Ashley. Yeah, dude. Yeah, there was yeah. an out interview with Courtney when she announced she was leaving the driver's seat where she said her dad asked her if she was pregnant. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, hey, it's, uh, it's how we do it in these thing. parts. Yeah, <laughs> that's a fact, man. Well, hey, guys, I do want to remind everybody, per usual, uh, this show, the West Buck Show, every Wednesday, 2 p.m. Central Standard Time, is brought to you by my friends at Stroud Safety the world leader in racer safety equipment, all 100% made in America. Whether you need fire pants, you need a uh, seat belt, you need a window net, you need chutes, you need a ballistic blanket. Our buddies up in Oklahoma City got you covered. Log on to stroudsafety.com. Make sure that you let them know your friends at the West Buck Show sent you. Also, everybody at Flow Racing, you've seen their logo on the screen many times today. I'm hoping that you watched their multiple broadcasts that went on this past weekend, doing huge things for the sport of drag racing. I talk about this all the time, and I can say it from experience. Flow Racing is putting money in the hands of racing promoters. It's They are difference makers in our industry. What they're doing, the platform they're providing race promoters and racers cannot be overstated its importance and it, its value is incredible so make sure you join the movement log on to flowracing.com slash drag illustrated it's a, a great way for them to see that we sent you their direction and seriously it's the best money you can spend 150 bucks to watch live drag racing anytime you want from any device you want whether it's your apple tv roku your fire stick i don't know what the other ones are called on your iPad, on your laptop, whatever you've got, you can watch drag racing anytime you want with Flow Racing. The app is super, super good. Uh, I've been massively impressed. I found myself a couple weeks ago being able to enjoy No Mercy 12 down at South Georgia Motorsports Park while also enjoying the PDRA World Finals in, in uh, Virginia Motorsports Park. It, it's crazy what they do, sending teams out all over the country to, to support the sport of drag racing. And again, they're part of our economy. They're a huge part of our economy. As someone who's put on a race and been paid broadcast right fees for broadcast rights, it's a very welcome experience, and that money finds its way back to racers, right? The better the visibility is, the bigger the eyeballs are, man, it's fantastic because that money ends up in the winner's circle. It, wins up, it ends up in round money. It ends up in qualifying money. So also, I want to remind you, friends and racers, that the West Buck Show is brought to you by Elite HP the world leader in used race cars, race engines, parts, pieces, tools, whatever you need, they likely have it at their 31,000 square foot showroom in Fort Worth, Texas. Log on to EliteHP.com to browse their entire inventory. And with that extremely long stretch of words, I want to bring on our next guest. This is a fun one for me because we can talk about a ton of stuff. Uh, a, a very well-versed young man that's done all sorts of different things when it comes to the sport of drag racing, racing with his father. He's been a part of our Drag Illustrated 30 under 30. He's been celebrated on the pages of the Drag Illustrated Crew Chief Special Issue. He's scored back-to-back -back 
World Championships in the Midwest Drag Racing Series Pro Mod Division, which I'd argue is some of the best racing happening in the country right now. Ladies and gentlemen, JT, Mike, let's give it up. More than a golf clap for the one and only Jeff Pierce. What's happening, brother? How's it going, guys? Can we call him Lil Pierce? We need to change that. Lil Pierce. Change it right now. We can't call him that anymore. That's that's a long time ago. Man, man. Those were the days. Those were the days. Well, hey. Seriously, Jeff, congratulations, man, right? I mean, you've had a hell of a couple of years here. I mean, I remember first encountering Jeff Pierce at Ozark International Raceway in Rogersville, Missouri. You were tuning, working on your dad's hot rod. I would say this is long before you were a tuner. You were polishing wheels and helping pack parachutes. You were doing the grunt work, right? Uh, racing with your dad in Pro Street and Pro, uh, pro, uh, pro Mod competition down there. What an incredible story. We talked at the beginning of the show, and I just want to – ask you a little bit about this as someone who has done all the hard stuff get cars out of trailers put up awnings you know wax trailers all that brutal stuff that our dads made us do when we were kids i think just to punish us for being alive for being their children what do you think of the drag illustrated 30 under 30 and that group of people getting celebrated for being kind of our sports next next big things oh that's it's incredible it's a it's a great uh, honor to be part of that. I, I was like, I think the second year you guys did it and, and there are, there's tons of young people in our sport that work their asses off to make sure that we can do what we want to do. And I always am the first to say when one of these cars runs good, it has, it's not just the driver. It's not just the crew chief. It's every single person involved in it. And the young people, they're the ones that are willing to do the work. The, the first one that comes to mind is John Salemi's son, Evan. That kid works his tail off. I mean, you can turn him loose on rebuilding an engine and he's 18 years old. I mean, it's just incredible. I mean, there's so many people, uh, the list goes on and on, and and I've got to meet a, a lot of them. Uh, some of them, I've helped them get jobs in certain places. And, and it's just, it's amazing that there's still young people that have so much passion for our sport. That's just, it's just excellent. It is an awesome thing, man, and because it's it, you don't start at the top either, right? You join one of these teams, and you're going to be cleaning out wheel tubs. You're going to be, uh, you know, cleaning wheelie bars. You're going to do a lot of really far from glamorous activities. But it's crazy because it, I still feel like I see tons of young people at the racetrack every weekend, and I see them hanging around the pits and being a part of this stuff. So it's uh, you're you're setting a great example for them as well, Jeff, and we appreciate that of you. I mean, we look back at many years. I don't know how many kids have been in the 30 under 30. Uh, how many years has it been going on, Mike? It's been going on for like five or six years, right? Yes, so, I believe so. So, I mean, say 150 kids. Not every one of them has – you know, it's not all worked out perfectly, but a whole lot of them, such as yourself, have gone on to do really, really big things. What do you make of the fact that you're like tuning world championship level pro mods right now? Not just nitrous cars like you grew up working on, but turbo cars, blower cars, NHRA. Like when I saw you standing behind that Chevelle in NHRA competition and, and seeing the success you're having with multiple teams in the Midwest series, tuning Ron Minix's car, your dad's car Ron, that Ron Minix drives and PDRA competition. I mean, is this at all? I mean, I don't know if you're making a hundred million dollars, yeah. but this has to be a yeah. little bit of a pinch. A me lot moment. of times these cars, are, they'll, they'll pan the camera and who's backing the car up is Jeff Pierce. And I'm like, I didn't know Jeff was even tuning this guy this weekend, but yeah, man, you're all over the place. It's a, it's a dream come true. It's a little overwhelming at times. I mean, it's hard to say no to people. I mean, most of these people become your friends. You, you know, you, you live with them for, for three or four days 
while you're at the event, basically you, you spend every moment with them. And so it's hard to tell them no when, when you get too busy, but uh, it's, I'm, I'm living a dream. I mean, it, it is it, when I was 16 or 17 years old, I told my dad, this is what I want to do for a living. And he's like, Oh, okay. You know, I don't know that he actually assumed I could make a living tuning race cars, you know, but it was a cool thing at the time. And, uh, when I got out of college, I started it and, and it's just kind of gotten bigger every single year ever since. And, and I enjoy it. I still enjoy it. I mean, there's bad days on the job, but there's always bad days on the job, but for the most part, I enjoy it. And, and no, I'm not becoming a millionaire off of it, but I mean, Hey, I'd rather, I'd rather live my dream, you know? Tell, you us and me about, both, man. tell us about how you kind of uh, built that program. I mean, the shop that you're in right now, is that your shop and like what cars, if you can tell us what's back there, who's housed in your shop and like, how did you kind of build your, your deal from you said college to where you are now to, to having that type of facility and, and that type of reach. Right. So th this is actually my dad's shop. I rent okay. space in the shop and uh, we house, obviously this is our purple nitrous car back here. And over there is, the champs car right there, Joey Oaks's. Um, basically, when I when I was going through school, I, I got the approach by many people who had seen me do well with my dad's car and wanted help with their car. So I started kind of my tuning career in school still. And then once I actually graduated, I found some full time customers and started off. And every year it's kind of built. And um, through the years, I went from you know being the top sportsman, pro mod, nitrous guy to, hey, let's go do some radial stuff. Hey, let's go do a turbo car. Let's go do a blower car. And 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 it's been an awesome experience. And I love tuning all different kinds of cars. You learn stuff from each one that applies to another one. And it's a great experience. Um, and uh, basically, I got hooked up with Scott back in, I think it was 2017. Um, and we raced for a couple seasons. And he kept hauling his stuff from California over to the Midwest and the East coast racing in HRI and different things. And finally he said, I need to keep this thing closer. And I said, well, I got a shop and I like that idea because, you know, there's lots of prep work in between races and there's no better guy to do the prep work than the guy tuning the car, or at least have, have the involvement of it and have the say of what needs to be done and when it needs to be done. So we, we started doing that. I think, uh, uh, the beginning of, of last year he kept the car it was when we started keeping the car here and it stays here in between every race um you know if there's maintenance to be done we either try to get it done at the racetrack or it comes here and i do the maintenance depending on how much time's between races um and it's worked out great it's it's a great thing for me because we i get that that hands-on to prep it and and preparation is we always, uh, every crew chief talks about preparation but it is a big part of the success of a team and um it's, it's just been a great experience. What did you go to college for? Uh, mechanical engineering. Yeah, well, so, so, so there's been a good amount of that that I'm sure yeah. has carried over. It has. It, it's funny because I was, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to kind of breeze through high school. Like high school was not very difficult for me. When I got into college, it's a whole nother level, like most people realize. And the first few years, a lot of the classes kind of applied and everything, everything I learned in college, it was always like, well, how can I apply that to a race car? You know, if we're talking about, you know, doing oil pipeline flow, I'm thinking of fuel system flow in a race car. I'm not thinking about it being an oil pipeline because that that just doesn't interest me. But then as we got to the last few years, it was much more difficult because you're taking advanced mathematic courses about imaginary numbers and calculus. And you're like, this doesn't really apply to race cars at all. 
So the last few years was a struggle for me to get done. I'm glad I did it. You know, at the end of the day, I, I can say I have that degree, but um, it, it does apply. I, I, I would never discourage somebody from going to college, but I would also encourage people to say, you don't have to go to college, you know, go latch on to somebody that has done it for 30 or 40 years and go work for them. You know, even if it's, even if you're not making money, if you're barely making it into meat, go find somebody to latch on to. There are so many intelligent people in this sport that you can listen to and you can learn from, whether it's an engine builder or a crew chief or a, or if your aspiration is to drive, go be the guy that scrapes the wheel tubs on the guy's car that you drive and watch everything they do. A perfect example of that, that I never would have guessed is Amber Franklin, when she got in her dad's car, she literally, you can't tell that Tommy's not in the car. If you, if Tommy wasn't standing on the starting line, if we could just take him out of the picture, people would think Tommy Franklin was in the car. She does exactly what her dad does in a race car, which is great because, I mean, he's a world champ. I mean, that's what you need to do. But the amazing thing to me is she picked up that much from watching. It wasn't that she drove a, a, a big tire door car ever. She just picked it up from watching him. So she learned everything from the time that he starts the car to when he wops the throttle to how he does the burnout to how he backs up to how he stages everything. It's amazing to me. I never would have guessed that someone could pick up that much from watching. So it's one of those things, definitely, if whatever your aspiration is in the sport of drag racing, go latch onto it. If you, heck, if you want to be a, a, a guy that writes articles for Drag Illustrated, go latch onto Wes Buck and just follow him around. And I'm sure you'll pick up many things. You'll, you'll pick, pick up a deep lot. trouble you'll pick up a in lot a big hurry writing articles. Who did I you learn gonna, the most from yeah, when you gonna, like you've I've ask, seen like, you. Yeah. Who sorry. have you learned the most from Jeff in your career? It, it, it's varied a lot. Um, the, the very first person that probably taught me. Well, there's actually two people, Eddie Granacci, who I don't, some people may or may not know, but he is he he tunes. He used to tune for Kenny Koretsky. Now he tunes for um, Matt Hartford. Right. But he great guy. It was a long story that I'll make real short. Basically, dad and my dad and Kenny traded cars back and forth or something, race cars. So I got to go around and be exposed to him at a very young age. And he was nice enough to let this 13-year-old kid bug him and ask him questions and look at his race pack graph. Um, so that's one guy I got to give credit to. Mike Edwards is another one. He was he lives about 30 minutes from me. And for the first five or six years of me trying to learn how to tune a car, he spent lots of times lots of going over there on an off day that he was just in the shop working and he would spend a couple hours and look over our race pack graphs and and teach me and my dad things um and then more recently in the last let's call it 10 years one of the big people i've learned a lot from is billy stockland um we have a great friendship um it, you know luckily now we kind of get to swap ideas back and forth but he's always been somebody that can can answer a question he's he's pretty He's pretty low key. He doesn't like to talk a lot, but um, if you can kind of pull it out of him, you know, he's, he's a wealth of information. It's incredible because I, you remind me a lot of Billy, like your mannerisms in a lot of ways. I talk about Billy keeping a, a, a four inch thick binder of notes. I see you taking meticulous notes all the time, Jeff, uh, going back to Eddie G um, and Mike Edwards. <clears throat> one of the things that we've seen throughout the history of like fast door slammer racing is, you know, the, I've always said that I believe ProMod kind of 
when pro stock started to invade pro mod and some of the mindset and the way those guys run the car uh, much more efficiently, I think is probably the best way to say it. Uh, what, what have you learned from those guys in those pro stock kind of mentality? I'm curious. I mean, you guys were racing your dads at that time, probably the, the Camaro, the, the fourth gen Camaro, that 98, 99 or whatever it was Camaro with a nitrous motor. I mean, if you've got Mike Edwards looking at your race pack graph, I mean, what were you able to glean from those pro stock guys and apply to pro mod? Um, basically look at the small things and, and, um, another one that I forgot to mention in there was Chris Bell was kind of in between everybody, um, because he used to tune go for stuff and we, we'd be at test sessions a lot together, but basically the pro stock guys, Chris Bell included, cause he comes from pro stock racing originally, they all look at all the little things and sometimes they get really fixed on one little thing and fixing that one little thing, which is great because sometimes it's a problem. The thing that probably Billy turned around and taught me on the flip side to it is when you're messing with things that have 3000 plus horsepower, don't sweat the small stuff always. And also there's a time to fix little problems and there's a time not to fix problems. I, I, it drove me nuts when I got to spend some time around the elite crew chiefs in their pro stock pits, they would go and they would change the rear shocks on the car, change the third member, change the duration of the transfers, change the clutch package and maybe swap motors just because they felt like it. And it's like, how can we ever go make another run and actually evaluate? But they've they've done it enough. They can, and they know that stuff. Pro-Mod cars are much more temperamental because they have 3,000-plus horsepower. So we have to make one change more at a time because there's a better chance that you're not going to make a successful run making that big of swings and changes. But they know their cars. are. They have stacks of notebooks, and they know exactly in this weather we need this ratio. So the weather swung this much, change these ratios, and we got to do this and this and this. And it, it's an incredible thing, but it's cool to see how different crew chiefs from different genres tune differently and taking that little bit and trying to figure out, okay, how can I do the best for my customer in the genre he's racing in? That's awesome. I think, yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, it's a conversation that I think we need to be having openly more often because it's just there's a lot to learn from it. Whenever you get involved with a new team, and I'm not asking you to call anyone out, but just I love when we have the opportunity to learn from you guys. Jeff, like what is some of the first things like what are the first things you address or is there a common problem that when you go into a new pit area that you see a lot? Is there something that is it that like chasing small things or getting way off in left field when they've got these other issues? I mean, what are some common issues that you see that maybe a racer or an up and coming racer that's watching this could go, you know what? He's right. We need to, we need to refocus or we need to look at this. Note, note taking is probably, probably the top priority. A, a lot of teams struggle to take good notes. Um, and a lot of teams struggle to evaluate runs correctly. Um, you know, you really have to look at the whole picture. You know, some people are like, well, this is my best run. And then I'll go through their notes or their, their runs and find this other run that, Hey, this actually really was a better run. You just did it in 3,000 feet worse air. So let's look at that run and try to figure out, okay, when we get in good air, how can we make that kind of a run in that kind of air? Um, that's one of the things. I, I usually try, if it's a new team that I've never worked with before, go in there, um, be uh, kind of quiet and patient, you know, um, and, and just kind of observe and kind of pick one or two things every time nobody wants to come in there and, and you tell them hey you're doing everything wrong let's change right. everything you're doing it's better off to just kind of pick your battles and pick some of the bigger things that you see as an issue and then you can most teams would probably tell me after six or seven races with me we kind of 
have rounded the corner of, okay, we fixed all these little small issues and now we're starting to build a program towards it. Um, I have, a, I had one customer make a joke. He was telling me, you know, suggesting me to a friend of his and he said, well, he'll milk you for five or six races. And at the end of the day, I'm not milking anybody. It's just, we take our time. I, I, I always tell people when tuning is like building a house, you, you don't, you don't go put the roof on before you've poured the concrete. So you got to start and build that foundation. And if you build a solid foundation, you can have a consistent race car at the end of the day. And that's, that's the main goal that everybody wants. I, I think that's actually, uh, yeah, go ahead, the Mike. test of that because Jeff helped us a, a little bit back during the, uh, I think maybe ADRL or PDRA days. And what he helped my dad with was just race pack, just deciphering the data that was available to him on the race pack. You know, I think probably because my dad came from a, the more crude times, we only had a couple of sensors on the car. We've got all these sensors, all this data. And Jeff was like, you know, you have access to this data and you can look at this and, and plot it this way to just understand more about the run that the car made. Like you said, Jeff, maybe we're just looking at the time slip and we're thinking that's the best run we ever made. But if you look at the data, the run doesn't, it looks, you know, messy on the, on the data and an, another run may actually better have better data that we can pull from. So I can attest to that firsthand. Let me, me and my dad work together and, and he's kind of, just from the same generation your dad is from Mike and, and he likes to tune the engine. That's his thing. He, right. he, he, he reads the spark plugs. He tells me, Hey, this, this cylinder's rich, this one's lean or whatever, but then he struggles with the data side of things. So I can, you know, I'll, I'll evaluate the data and say, Hey man, look, this is, this run was better than this run. Okay. Well, what, what was the tune up then? Okay. Let's look at that. And we work together on it, which is still one of my favorite things in racing that yeah. I would not trade is the fact that I get to do it with my dad. I'm sure Mike's the same way. I mean, it's I can go win championships and thousands of races with a customer's cars, and it's still not the same as racing with your father, you know, and West West, you've got to do it, too. So it's, it's very cool that we've all got to have that experiences with our dads. It's a super important thing. Let's play compare and contrast. This is where I believe Jeff Pierce is shining in 2021 is your success knows no bounds, right? I mean, we've seen you take cars deep into elimination round, roots blown cars in NHRA Pro Mod competition, which I think we can all agree is the final frontier for Pro Mod drag racing. We've also seen you win races, run good uh, in PDRA Pro Nitrous competition, Pro Boost, as well as the Midwest Drag Racing Series where you've uh, led teams to the world championship the last two seasons in a row. Why don't you just take us through each of those those three? Let's just go there with Pro Mod um, <clears throat> compare and contrast racing in Midwest, racing in PDRA, racing in NHRA. I'd love to hear kind of your, your thoughts and feelings on those different sanctions and series. Um, I might get some flack over this, but my, my, That's by okay. far the worst one that I don't like is NHRA. You, 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 PDRA and Midwest, they make you feel so special when you show up. And there are so many fans that love these cars and I don't get me wrong. Everybody loves top fuel. I mean, there's yeah, tons no of doubt. fans for that. And I'm not I'm not taking away from top fuel or funny car. I'm not saying anything about that. But Pro Mod is it is a very exciting class to watch. And you stand back at a Midwest race or PDR race and you see these guys in both, you know, I ran them back to back weekends and there were races that were won by one or two thousandths of a second. These things are carrying the wheels up till the eighth mile, which is all we're running to. They got flames shooting out, they're loud, they're noisy. It's just a very cool class to race. And the interesting thing that me and Shane T stopped by my shop yesterday on his way out of town. And we talked about this briefly, but um, one of the things that's kind of cool is PDRA Midwest NMCA, 
a lot of these standalone races that are happening now, we've all got a common rule set within 50 pounds of each other. We vary, but it's all the same kind of cars. And I think NHRA is missing the boat. I think they're trying to stick on to the quarter mile uh, legal setup. And I think if they kind of at some point said, you know what, we're going to pull the plug on that and go to eighth mile and go to what we call this outlaw rule set, which is really not outlaw. That's pretty restricted. Um, I think you'd have a lot more participation. I mean, and, and the way I say that is, is there's probably 20 legal NHRA cars in existence right now that are legal that can show up to an NHRA race right now. There's probably three or 400 outlaw cars that could show up because we run that rule set. I, I, we actually got a phone call. Um, somebody wanted to borrow Oaks's car for Denver because they thought a turbo car would be more competitive up there. And me and Scotty sat down and, and we were like, there's so much we'd have to change, not just safety rules, but the turbos are the wrong size. We have a lockup in the car. There's all these things that you have to change. And we said, we're racing for a championship. We're not, we're not pulling the plug on it. So I don't think that people actually have the aspiration to run NHRA anymore. Scott's a guy that did it. And I, he, he acts like he really does not want to go back. I asked him, I said, what are your plans for next year? And he says, I want to run for another Midwest championship. That's yeah, his goal. We've talked about that a lot where these guys like Scotty Oaks and others are, they're where they want to be. We talked to yep. Joey about that a couple of weeks ago. He, he's where he wants to be. And uh, yeah, to your point, there is no such thing as outlaw anymore, really. I mean, there are rules, safety and performance rules on every class. Those out, those days of no rules at all are gone. So even an outlaw car is very, very close to being a legal car, minus these, these changes right. that you mentioned. And do you really my, think it's a reality? I mean, <clears throat> question, what do you make of... I've heard this a lot lately. I mean, I, Larry Merg, Morgan told me at the Motorplex, we were there for the NHRA National Event, and he said, man, if they'd pull these, these Pro Mods back to a 1,000 foot or an eighth mile, we'd have twice as many cars here. And I, I found that to be interesting, hearing that from like Larry Morgan, a tried-and-true pro-stock legend, only raced quarter mile for the most part. Um, do you think that that's – I mean, is there an answer that isn't going – to the eighth mile i'm just curious i mean is there something that could happen in the nhra if we table the treatment or whatever and that type of thing uh if we table that is there a way to make all these cars competitive against one another or close enough on the quarter mile i mean it looks like it's pretty close right now um that's actually maybe a great question what do you think of the nhra rule set as it sits i think it's better i mean i, I it's hard to evaluate because with with as little participation as they've had i don't know right. that you can honestly really evaluate but it is closer than it's been um it's tough though and we talk about this in midwest because midwest really tried to go after having a rule set that engulfed everybody i mean we can have everything from a single cylinder six turbo in midwest to big nitrous motors to th we have three different overdrive weight combination for screw sea rotor screw blowers so at the end of the day when you only have one team campaigning a combination so like for example Ricky Smith and Barker right. both raced part-time this year. So you only had one or two nitrous cars to evaluate the nitrous combination on. You only had a turbo car show up for, I think, one race this year or two. Yeah. Well, I guess Lyle done two. it now, so two yeah. or three. Yeah. So it's hard to evaluate a combination on one team, not discrediting any teams, but how can you know if you're the best if you're the only car there with that combination? So it makes it very difficult on the rule makers to, 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 to do that. Um, I think making eighth mile rules may be a little easier than quarter mile rules because if somebody has big horsepower, it's not a dominating factor. Um, a good example of that is 
the car chain T-tunes over in uh, Midwest. It, it's been 219 mile an hour a lot. I think it's been 221 once, but it runs 369, which is pretty much the, the, the if you're in the top five of the class, you're going to run in the high 60s. So that thing probably has, heck, thousands of horsepower more than other cars, but because of the combination and getting it off the starting line, it's easier to have a rule set without having that extra distance. So as far as like you kind of mentioned thousand foot, I would be against that thousand foot only because I think when you tailor it back to an eighth mile, it's an easier rule set to keep. Plus it puts a lot more on the driver. I mean, you're, you're, you, there's no, you don't have that horsepower to make it up on the other end like you do in a quarter mile race. So it, it, it makes for really tight, close racing. And I used to be a big quarter mile fan and wanted to do it. And now I think eighth miles kind of just taken over. It's interesting. I don't think I ever, it is weird. And it's actually, and I don't want to take, I don't want to upset anybody like, cause we already get in trouble for like bashing the NHRA or whatever, but you know, it is a weird thing because it wasn't that long ago that pretty much anybody who had a door car would have sold their soul to like run the NHRA us nationals. And then you tell that story about Scotty Oaksis um, about how, I mean, this guy's out, he's done the NHRA dance, right? He's gone to those big races. He's been a part of that scene. Um, and he's telling you like for 2022, I want to go defend our title in Midwest drag racing series. And we all know that Scotty Oaks, is a guy that has the financial wherewithal that if he wanted to go in HRA racing, he could go in HRA racing, right? Especially teamed up with someone like you and being able to keep the car in the Midwest. I mean, what does that say? I mean, what what does that say about the future, I would say, of the NHRA Pro Mod Series? Because we're looking right now, 12 cars headed out to Vegas. That that seems a little bit scary to me. I mean, do you think that that series can rebound? I mean, if they stick to quarter mile, I mean, I think it's unlikely to think that they're going to adopt a brand new rule set or make any sort of wholesale changes. I mean, what's your thoughts on the future of quarter mile NHRA Pro Mod drag racing? I, I mean, it's possible. I always say that this stuff goes in a cycle. You yeah, have your ups and down years. And I, it's quite possible with the, even with their current rule set that next year they could have 20 cars at every race. Um, I just never think that you're going to have the massive support that you do with the, what we'll call PDRA Midwest type rules, because there's so many more places you can race those cars and you can, you can start off in a lower series and work your way up to a PDRA or Midwest series, which to me is a professional series. Um, and to your point, when my dad, you know, used to drive our car, you know, eight or nine years ago, he, he, he always wanted to go run in HRA. But now I think if somebody sat a bunch of money in our lap and said, Hey, you go race whatever series you want to race. I think me and my dad will both pick PDRA pro nitrous. Now, part of that is, is we love the fact that you can go race a class with only nitrous cars. That's always been a, a, a cool thing to us, but it's also to us, the, the pinnacle of nitrous racing. Um, and I think that a lot of people, that race these style cars, PDRA or Midwest, um, that's their that's their pinnacle. Um, it's not in HRA anymore, and and some of it is um, probably geographical. Um, you know, you pick a series that is easier for you to to travel to. Um, some of it is probably what fits into your schedule. These these series are eight races, whereas NHRA is twelve. Um, which I've, you know, NHRA talked to us about scaling that back. I don't know if they actually did, but they talked to us about going back to ten races. Um, but you're always going to have a group of guys that probably want to race at NHRA and stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, some people say it's the TV program. 
I still think that everybody's missing the boat as far as TV programs. You look at no prep racing. The no prep racing is big because it has a show about people. And if if somebody ever said, hey, we're not going to cover the drag race, we're going to focus on covering the people, you would you would have way more support. People want to people want to invest and learn about people. They're they're you know, the drag racing results by the time the show's airs, everybody knows about it. the Internet has destroyed that. We all know we all yes. know who won the race three months ago. Um, so I, I I still say that every I, I've told PDRA this, I've told Midwest this. You need to go out and get a show that even if it's even if you sell it to Amazon and Amazon makes everybody buy it for 10 bucks on Amazon to stream. If it's a show that it, it can show the racing, the racing's the exciting part. It's a it's a cool it's a cool uh, avenue to have it in. But you need to have a show about the people. And we have we have some very interesting characters in drag racing, probably more interesting than most sports, I, I would say. I think uh, so. I mean, I think there are more incredible. I mean, obviously, I'm biased, but I've said it a thousand times that like this is a community that's full of the greatest people, uh, uh, people that are the salt of the earth, but are also like innovators, uh, boundary pushers, uh, boisterous, uh, um, egocentric in a good way, right? Proud and and want to be, you know, or lean into competition. There's so many great personality traits that exist in our sport. I get surprised by that myself. I mean, we're always that's what that's why drag illustrated exists i mean honestly that was our mission statement 16 years ago it was like we're going to put faces to the names like it's great everybody loves cars i've said before that uh, fast cars burnouts side by side competition the smell of race gas that may be what brought us to the track but it's my opinion it's the people that keep us coming back i say it all the time like i don't really care about going to the drag strip to watch a burnout or to watch cars race i want to go see all my homies i want to go see all my people and see how these stories develop that's what really matters to me let's tech talk for a moment jeff because this is something a debate you've been involved in online and we should actually i think you're really great on camera you're so well spoken dude i'm, I'm so proud of you your dad sells RVs. I think you, you should give him some credit. You've clearly picked up the gift of gab from a guy who's had to earn his stripe in sales. Um, it, it's amazing. But what, what, why do we, why do no cars have nitrous cars have bullhorns on them anymore? I mean, I, I know the answer, but I, I think a lot of people don't understand that there's like performance and real technical things real that go into running subject. Real, yeah, it's a real sensitive subject, but I'd love for you to enlighten our viewership on why we've seen all these nitrous cars go from massive bullhorns giving us six-foot header flames to zoomies. There, there's an interview that you did floating around the internet that I said that I would basically stop racing I before I put zoomies on my car, so let's hope <laughs> that disappears. But anyways, uh, basically it is a performance advantage. We were, we were 100% team bullhorn. Um, we kept them on all the way through 2019. At the end of 2019, the fastest our car had ever gone was 369.203. That was the best run we've ever made. Um, over the winter, we weren't sure what we were going to do. Dad's like, "Well, what do you want to do?" I'm like, "Well, if we end up selling the car, everybody's going to want zoomies. It's going to be, it's going to basically make the car more sellable if we decide to sell the car." And he was like, "Do you think there's anything there?" I said, "I don't think there's anything there, but let's just put them on, and that way they're done." So I called up Stevie Jackson. He had an old set for sale. We bought them. We stuck them on the car. Um, we took it to the first race, and Ron let go of the button, and I started looking at the graph. And I had tuned cars with zoomies, but I'd never done one back-to-back -back like that. And I started looking at it, and I'm like, huh, this thing sure runs better out the back. Doesn't do anything for you down low, but, man, it runs better out the back. So we made our first run, and 
Ron gets out of the car and he goes, man, that was a good run. It was like a 377 to 201 or something. And he's like, that was pretty good. And I said, the last kit's not turned on. He's like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. So like the end of the weekend, we had already went like a 70 at, I think, 204 or something in way worse conditions than our best run had been. But we'd already, you know, passed our best mile an hour. So by the end of the season, we ended up going 362 at 207. Um, and so your program advanced a tenth of a second, better than a tenth of a second. Yeah, seven hundred, seven seven hundreds, okay. and four mile an hour. Which if you told anybody, you can pick up four mile an hour. And I'm not saying that's going to happen on everyone's nitrous car, but that's what it did for our nitrous car. Just that um, alone, you're saying. Just that alone. That just was, that alone. We put the hood scoop back on, but we had had the hood scoop on and off multiple times through our career, and maybe at best it was a mile an hour. So I wouldn't say that. The hood scoop was like, oh, it did a lot. Um, and you didn't make any uh, advancements same, or learn same, anything else. You just kept it. Same, same engines. We had two engines. I'm trying. Um, you I see, went, I'm fishing. I'm trying. I'm volunteering. I know. We, I'm we, trying, we, to, we, the, the, trying to we rule ran this out. One engine, we ran one engine, and then we swapped engines just to make sure it was in some weird fluke, like somehow one magically changed at the trailer. And they both ran. They both picked up the same amount. Um and that was it. And the only thing I can contribute it to is basically with the collector, it keeps cylinder pressure in the pipe and you get reversion basically under nitrous mark. It made the motor so much happier. Um, you know, we monitor PanVac. That's one of the best tuning tools a nitrous guy uses. And like our PanVac went from losing four or five inches to being like an inch of PanVac loss. Um, the motor didn't need as much fuel because you're not keeping heat in the motor. So it didn't need all that extra fuel to try to keep it cool. The motor just went from being on the edge to being happy. And then you could actually push it with more nitrous and more timing and, and the thing just ran better. So at the end of the day, I never in a million years would have guessed it. Um, Billy what? Stockland always hits me in the back of the head and says, why don't you do things the way other people do them? And this was one of those things that as soon as it happened, he was basically smacking me in the back of the head through my cell phone saying, why on earth did you wait this long to put, or to put zoomies on your car? And uh, it, we went from not knowing if we were going to race for very much longer to it totally changed my dad's attitude. And we started going to races left and right last year, had the best. It's funny like, what a little bit of success will do. That's insane. That is just had, the zoomies that did Yep. That. Had the best season of our lives last year. This year we've had a really good season. Um, we've had our lows this season. We had a couple times where we experimented because at the end of the day, our car is still kind of a little bit of an R and D car. Cause it's one car. I get to do whatever I want on. Um, but we still had a good year. We had, I think two final round appearances in PDRA. Um, and then I think a semifinal and a second round in PDRA. And um, it, it, it's crazy that that all stemmed from putting zoomies on the car. Why do you think, I mean, just give us a little more tech insight. Why did nitrous cars run bullhorns or collectors for so long and that style of exhaust versus blown cars, which have always had zoomies? You know, there back in the day, there were a few guys. I think Bill Coleman is the one that comes to mind that put zoomies on a nitrous car, but it was short-lived and they went back. What do you attribute that to in the early days? A, a lot of it is the is probably the engine builders. Um, uh, most of our engine builders in the nitrous world are have some form of experience with like pro stock style right. engines or nitri aspirate engines. So they try to build as much power. We've dynoed. We actually, had, I was at rears with Stevie Jackson and he stuck a set of zoomies on the dyno at rear Morrison's and we lost 150 foot pounds of torque. And there, they, they, everybody, we were all standing there. We're all like, well, there's no, there's no benefit to that. Well, 
you're looking at it with no nitrous on and 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 it is it, it when you put the zoomy on it makes it to, for me it made it a little trickier to run the car down low because you lose a lot of power in your first and second kit but once you overcome that obstacle it just runs better once everything's on and it's just one of those things i think we all kind of pro nitrous cars or, or nitrous pro mod cars have always stemmed from pro stock technology right. we'll kind of call it and that mentality we kind of stuck with it for so long and and don't get me wrong i love the flames luckily somehow with the way i tune the car um i still end up with pretty good flames at night they're not the they're not the bullhorn flames yeah, but at least blue, i get i get some flames. nice zoomy flames at least yeah that's it's interesting to think about and i think that is attributed to the fact that these cars are making so much power now i think back in the day if you'd have told them hey if you put these zoomies on you're gonna lose torque it's like no we need everything we can get but in today's with a 959 cubic inch engine with six stages of nitrous, you're almost looking to knock some torque out of the thing to get, you know, to make it more consistent and get off the starting line. So it's interesting how it evolved that way. That was, that was one of the reasons I didn't switch because everybody that switched, I kept saying, well, it's just making it easier for them to run their car there. It makes it, it makes it less aggressive on the starting line. It's easier for them to run their car. I can power manage if I have too much power on the starting line. Um, you know, but then after I did it, I was like, this is something I was an idiot. I should have done this five, six years ago. It's interesting. Very interesting. And it's interesting it's to cool, think about man. how, like you said, nitrous cars evolved from pro stock technology. And it's almost like blown cars evolved from alcohol, funny car and other alcohol, blown classes. Exactly. And they, they work toward the middle, you know? Yeah. And now I we're, find now it we're very getting interesting. to see a lot of, we're getting to see a lot of crossover. Cause like you mentioned, Larry Morgan's helping Mike Castellana and Frank Manzo. So you're getting to see a pro stock guy and an alcohol funny car guy work together. Um, which I, if you haven't ever got to, you, you got to go hang out with those two. When you put those two together, they're some of the funniest guys you'll ever meet. Um, and luckily I had a, we were, it, we are, it was raining in Norwalk and we were pitted next to him and I, I happened to walk out the our pit and uh, we talked for 15 or 20 minutes and they had me laughing the whole time. They're, they're pretty funny guys. What do you make of like, I remember when David rear and the gang at rear Morrison kind of got involved in pro mod racing. This was a really big happening in our sport, right? Uh, I, I was lucky enough to kind of have a front row seat to a lot of that. And I remember compression ratios started to go up. Cam profiles started to become more aggressive. All these things, valve change be became a much bigger part of the conversation than it had ever been before. Um, and there was a kind of a push towards let's make this thing make as much power as we can and run less nitrous. Like we want to run less nitrous and make the motor run better. I mean, these are this is back when like a big motor was a 762 or an eight an 800 inch motor was a was a big new piece or whatever coming from Fulton or rear or whatnot. Now though. Like fast forward to 2021, I think Pat Musi was one of the guys who kind of pioneered this refocus on like, no, 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 no. We don't run the engine nationally aspirated. So we got to find a way to just run as much nitrous as possible. Where are we at right now as it stands here at the end of this season? I mean, what, what is the, what's kind of the mindset that exists here today? Get this thing to consume as much nitrous as possible? Um. A little bit. I think that there are, there's a lot of, of people that run the pro nitrous class that that's their goal is to run as much nitrous as possible. And we we've tried we try things on our car to try to consume more nitrous, um, but also some of its efficiency. You know, taking how much nitrous we we know we can run through the motor without it burning a hole in a piston or or something, and seeing how efficient you can make that. And a lot of pro mod racing, even you know the the 
the blower things, you know, it used to be, you know, uh, probably eight years ago, most blower guys, they, they'd run a two-speed non-lockup and stuff. Now you got guys with five-speed lockups or three-speed non-lockups, but even then the t- converters are much different now that we run than we did before. And it's all about efficiency, just trying to use what we already make. I don't think that pro mod cars have made a tremendous gain in power in the last three or four years. Um, I don't think that the 959 motors have gotten much better in the last three or four years. I don't think that um, most of the screw blown and blower guys are going to say they make a lot more power in the last three or four years. We're all just trying to make our cars more efficient. It's kind of going back to like what you're saying about pro stock coming in. We're, we're looking at, okay, how can we make our cars more efficient? And then same thing with the turbo cars. I mean, we went, when I, the first NHRA turbo car, I think I messed with, it was like 42 or 43 pounds of boost. Now we're at 33 pounds of boost. You can't, you can't, and we're running just as fast, if not faster. So it's like, we're, we're just being more efficient with what we have. And um, that's kind of our goal now is to try to make efficient runs. And there's some teams that are really, really good at making really efficient runs. And you can tell they're down on power, but they make better efficient runs. And at the end of the day, sometimes they're 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 one of the top contenders just because they can make good runs. I'm curious, what do you make of like, so you, we see like at the PDRA World Finals, and I wish I had this in front of me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maybe try to get it in front of me here real quick. But like, what was the spread between number one qualifier at the PDRA world finals and pro nitrous and number 16. That would be, that's a good question. I would, I, I want to say it's probably a little bit big um, because I think they only had 16 or 17 cars, right. but I, I would say if you went down to like 13 or 12, that's probably a much tighter spread. Um, yeah. And then you basically I, I'm, I'm trying to remember who actually I raced, but I know every single round that I raced at PDRA last time, I was not counting anybody out. You had to go up there and basically try to make the best run you can make um, for those conditions. It was not the old days of you going up first round and saying, you know what, I'm going to back this thing down a little bit because I want to make sure I make make it down the racetrack. You can't do that anymore. And the drivers have can't do that anymore. The driver can't go up there and be a little bit lazy on the tree because he thinks, oh, this is first round and I'm running somebody slow. That's over. That's done. That's not going to happen anymore. You have to go up there and say, you know, well, a good example is Midwest. We ran uh, Dan and I can't remember his last name and I wish I could, but Brandon Stroud was tuning the car. It's a pro line tune pro charge car, new car. They put together that, that black Camaro. That's black got a Camaro. different color door on it. Yeah. yeah. Yep. 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 And yep. it was one of those things when I was tuning, tuning Joey's car, I went up there and I kind of was thinking in my head, I'm like, I got to treat this like it's a final round because this guy could come out and pop off a 368 because I know Brandon Stroud knows how to do it and he might get it this run. And this guy might be, you know, 010 on the tree and we might be in trouble. So you, you have to approach those rounds now way more aggressive than you used to. I'm a very conservative crew chief. I don't like to be aggressive unless I absolutely have to. And it's kind of the mentality's changed. You got to go up there and, you know, I always preach to people, don't go try to go faster than you know you can go but you have to try to go as fast as you think you can go now versus reining yourself back and trying to just say, Hey, let's go down the racetrack. Yeah. There's like, there's no, like, I remember again, I don't ever want to discount anybody or discredit anyone, but there used to be like layups out there. Like there Mm -hmm. were some guys that you knew you couldn't get around, you know, but I asked a second ago what the spread was. Yes. Jason Reese. I found it on the PDRA website. Um, Tommy Franklin, number one with a 363 with an eight. 
Um, and I'm just curious, I want to get, and I don't mean you to like tune the whole world here, Jeff, but I'm going to push as far as I can go. I mean, I do find it interesting though, right? Like John Vergat's great race car, um, 69 Camaro got a, I believe a Musi 959 in it. Um, and you got a Musi 959 in Tommy Franklin's car and those cars are separated by a 10th of a second over a 10th. I'm just curious, like what's the guy doing that's running low sixties that the guy that's running low seventies isn't doing? Is that all in like tune-up aggression? Is that in shock technology? I mean, where do you think the, the difference between a top-tier pro nitrous car and a mid-pack car is? Well, just not to discredit anybody, I'm pretty sure Vergatz has a buck motor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Charlie Buck, yeah. great yeah, that's guy. Right. Yep. Makes a good motor. We share um, a last name. But but even, even cool. still, I would say there are there is a little bit of a horsepower difference between, let's call it the four or five top engine builders and pro nitrous racing, but it's it's not huge. And um, I don't think that any of that can be, you know, we can overcome that with tune-up. Um, and it's not, most people have the same motor tune-up. Like when people, when I go and stumble upon and somebody comes over and says, hey, can you come look at my stuff? And I look at a nitrous graph, most of the time, it's not a motor power tune-up issue. Um, most of us, the engine builders uh, help, help, help out their customers a lot. Um, Brandon Schweitzer, he kind of goes across the board and helps a lot of people and gives people very good tune-ups that don't tear the motors up, but they 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 can run power out. They can have good power out the back. A lot of it is efficiency of the run, um, you know, and they may 60 foot good, but they don't realize um, sometimes you can 60 foot good and you can even run decent to the 330, but how you approach the car will set up how much speed you're going to run out the back. And if you can have more speed out the back, you're going to, you're going to travel more better. Um, so it's one of those things that sometimes there's different ways to approach all your thought process, but sometimes there's ways to run the car that you know, ultimately end up where you can run more speed. Um, and, and sometimes people miss that. They think, Oh, it's just horsepower out there. And it's like, no, sometimes you can go back and say, you know, change this, you know, run your lockup at this time, you know, run this ratio, run this converter package or whatever. And you can actually take somebody that, you really didn't ever touch their motor tune up and they picked up three mile an hour, you know? Um, so I would say that that's probably the biggest thing I would venture to say. Um, there's obviously motor tune up plays a, a part of it. And, and also the, you know, a lot of it is runs. Um, you know, you look at the top tier teams that get to race in pro nitrous and, and they make a lot of runs um, and you cannot replace runs. Um, I don't care. Um, you know, who you are, how good of a tuner you are, you cannot replace runs. Um, runs is data. Data makes you better. Data makes you be able to to know where to go when the conditions present themselves. And that's a lot of it, too. Um, you know, you, you, you we're getting to the point where you, it's just like pro stock, where there's a good session. And if you don't make yeah. a good run in the good session, you don't qualify on in the in where <laughs> you want to. So um, that's a that's part of it. And that's something that I struggled with. Um you know, in the Midwest, we don't see the air that you get to see sometimes on the East Coast. So when I go to the East Coast, um, you know, during the day, I feel like I have a little bit of an advantage when the air is not quite as good because I kind of know where to go. When I get to that nighttime run and the track's pretty good and the, the air's really good, you're like, OK, I got to figure out kind of where I need to go with this. But luckily, luckily, I get to I get to stumble my way into qualifying halfway decent at some of these races. 
Three weeks ago, last question, Jeff. I know we, you've been very generous with your time. I appreciate you hanging out in the green room with us for a long time and uh, shooting the breeze with us here this afternoon. Won't uh, soon forget it. I asked Clay Milliken about three weeks ago, who's the best driver in Top Fuel? And uh, it was cool because it, Clay actually said, maybe me. You know, I mean, he was quick to tell us that he thought he was in that conversation, but he was quick to identify Doug Coletta, Steve Torrance, some of these other guys. I'm curious, who's the baddest tuner? Who does who does Jeff Jeff Pierce aspire to be? Who's the baddest tuner in the game when it comes to door slammer drag racing right now? Billy Stockland, hands down. I mean, and don't get me wrong, if you said, you know, best nitrous tuner or best this tuner, there's lots of guys. I, I could have a list, dozens of names that I could list off. Um, and Billy, you know, he always tells me, oh, I'm not that good. And, you know, I do this and, and I couldn't do anything with a turbo car because I've never ran one. But Billy is somebody that if you let him sit down, doesn't matter. You could have a Honda Prius and say, hey, I want it to run faster. If Billy got sat down, did he, how he analyzes data, um, he would figure out a way to make it faster. He is the best nitpicker in the sport of drag racing by far. Um, you, I, I always feel like that if you could take a top fuel crew chief, you could pluck Billy into that chair and he would nitpick and find something that guy didn't see. He, and, and, and me and Stevie actually have conversations about this all the time. Stevie's great at getting a car lined out and getting it to within a five hundredths of what it should run. Billy will go find you that five hundredths plus a little bit more. He is, he is just one of the best data analysts that is known to man. Um, he has given me a lot of words of wisdoms over the years and, and by far that's the guy that I would name. That's amazing, man. Well, Jeff, thank you so much again. We appreciate your time. We appreciate you spending your afternoon with us. Um, it, it's incredible. It's been very insightful. I love, I know that our show doesn't often skew super technical, but I think it's fun when it does. Don't you think Mike? Like, I think it's fun yeah. when we kind of go down this pathway. My wife yeah, told me one absolutely. time, she's like, sometimes you guys, uh, get way too tech talky or whatever. And I'm like, well, man, we all, we all are tech talky guys. That's like, honestly what people were probably wanting to hear. I mean, the, these I mean, guys I have actually thought reason, about, so. I've thought about introducing, I mean, okay, Mike, JT, neither one of you guys have a, a, a panic attack that Wes has another idea but I've often thought we need like a, a, a tuning show or a crew chief type of show because the tech stuff I mean that's these the folks that watch this stuff can literally log off and go apply this to their program yeah. I think it there's no one doing it and I think maybe we'll have to so hey, Jeff, Jeff yeah go ahead uh, I, mean, I don't know if you've seen the new issue we just dropped it today but you may want to wait till you get out of the building to look at it. Otherwise, you're going to have to use like one of those bay doors behind you to get out. <laughs> your, your head's not going to fit through the standard door. So just I, I, actually, I actually had one of my customers send me a, a, a screenshot of the, art, the first article. And I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, and I, you know, of course, I talked to Josh Hatchett about it, you know, a month or so ago. And then all of a sudden I get a second screenshot of a completely different article and I go, yeah. There's two? Yeah. And he goes, Yeah, two. you were you got in there twice. And I'm like, Well, that's that's really neat. Thank you very much, guys. I appreciate it. Anytime you want to have me on the show, just let me know and I'll be glad to be on. Absolutely, man. Thank you. We appreciate it, man. Stay out of trouble. I'll see you soon. Thank you. Dude, what a deal. We're lucky with this deal. I, I sometimes pinch myself that we get to like hang out and talk about drag racing and call it our job, right? Absolutely, man. It's kind he's of great. That was interviews. that was good. He's he's one of these guys that's quiet, keeps to himself. You know, doesn't seem to have a lot to say. But like you said, great on camera. Probably gets it from his his old man. Probably <laughs> sold a few RVs with that as well. Yeah, I'm. I think he's. I mean, that is a and that's something that I think I could like that 
doesn't get talked. Being a good communicator is like super key. Very, I mean, very, very valuable, especially for a tuner. I remember one of the first, and I won't name names. I remember one of the first guys that my dad brought in as like <clears throat> a hired gun dude to kind of help us. Rough around the edges guy, wasn't a great communicator, wasn't a great teacher, and that deal barely lasted a race because he came in and kind of upset the apple cart and you know what I mean? And and it was funny because, you know, he Jeff said that he's had clients call it milking it, but it's really wise well, that, to kind of ease into yeah, it. Whoever you know? that was probably it's probably an awesome racer or something, but didn't set out to be a tuner. I think Jeff, the fact that he set out to be a tuner yeah. as a career, went to school. Uh, has been around it and he he has he doesn't want to go drive he doesn't want to go do anything else this is what he does has made him uh, what he is I, I think it's awesome to just set out with intention for that to be your career let's just have jeff host that show yeah. i think he could perfect, so, yeah. Yeah, perfect. It would just okay, get him right? on payroll let's get him on <laughs> yeah. payroll that's all we need one more check for me to Wouldn't write you get paid fantastic for this, mike I don't, I don't know what you get paid for. Yeah, we haven't figured that <laughs> yeah, out first off team. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot to cover if we're going to go down that road. No, I'm just joking. Um, so you guys are saying forego uh, after hours I today? So, We've been on here. I think we had that yeah. long opening intro. Well, it's we tough because I do want to tell you, um, as someone who does graphic design, Mike, I think you'll appreciate this. I did about 77 graphics that now you guys are saying we're not going to get to use. Um, oh, man. Somewhere. Welcome to the world of graphic design. Yeah. No, we're doing it. Five minutes and we'll go through all of them. All right. Ten minutes and we'll go through all of them. Here we JT. go. Let's JT, do it real are quick. you wagering five or ten? No, ten minutes. Five, like ten, five, eleven. We're done. Ladies and gentlemen, we uh, maybe we'll go live again sometime soon. I hate when we miss the opportunity to, to, to do the back and forth question answering thing. I do want to talk about a handful of these things just briefly. Kudos to our friend, longtime friend of Drag Illustrated. Anderson Dick, Luis DeLeon, the whole gang down at Fuel Tech in uh, Ballground, Georgia. Over the weekend, Anderson made the first ever eight-second pass in a C8 Corvette. The, the work these guys have gone through, holy shit. I mean, they've been testing, going to all track rentals, going to PDRA races, going all over creation, trying to get this first eight-second run done. Uh, it's no secret if you're like a late-model performance guy or a GM high-performance guy that working on these late model Corvettes and it has been a real challenge. You, you know, you're not able to tune them. Uh, the, they've got a fuel tech system basically piggybacked on the factory uh, EFI setup. Really incredible twin turbo deal. Super cool thing that I think is least needs mentioning here on the show. Uh, what do we got next? Oh, brand new Z8, uh, C8 Z06. I find this interesting. I don't want our drag racing talk to be limited exclusively to pro mods and, 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 and nitro funny cars. I think it's fantastic that Chevrolet just unveiled this 670 horsepower, 5.5 liter V8. It's like a 335 cubic inch V8. It's going to turn 8,500 RPM. I think that's a really fun thing to talk about that we're not going to get time to do today. Um, we talked briefly about the nitro car counts in Vegas. I think the NHRA should be satisfied with that. 1920 cars in each category. Super cool. Uh, Tony Stewart forms an NHRA team. I guess we're going to have to talk about that one next weekend. Give kudos to Joey Oaksis, Sean Bellamere, and everybody who won world championships in the Midwest Drag Racing Series this past weekend. They had a hell of a drag race at Extreme Raceway Park. Really impressive show. Tip of the cap to Keith Haney, Ellen Eschenbacher, everybody involved with the Midwest drag racing the whole series. series has done really well. I mean, just, isn't it well, crazy? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's just really well done. 
they've done a great job and it has elevated, I mean, it has escalated, right? I mean, it's moved up in the world as far as like the drag racing pecking order. And it's been really cool to see. Um, I did want to touch on this briefly, but we'll do it next time. F1 had a hundred thousand some odd people turn up. They've got three dates scheduled stateside for 2022, which I think is kind of unbelievable that and we're, we're talking going about. next year, right? We're going to go to the race yeah. in Austin. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's really all I wanted to cover. I just hated to do all those graphics and not use them. Um, Thank you guys, everybody that uh, tunes in every Wednesday. We're so lucky to have you join us for this. It wouldn't be the same. It's fun to have Brittany Force. It's fun to have Jeff Pierce. But this show lives and dies by your engagement. So thank you so much for being a part of it. Remember, subscribe to the YouTube channel. We haven't picked a date, but at some point in the very near future, we will uh, go all in on YouTube and likely move away from broadcasting on Facebook. I don't know how quickly that'll happen, but I just want to remind everybody, make sure you follow along on YouTube, subscribe, uh, and, and make sure you get notifications. Mike, JT, thank you guys so much. I suppose we will call it a day. Uh, it's been a good one, right? I think this is a really good show. Yeah, absolutely. All they right, always are, man. Thank you guys so much. We'll talk soon. Peace. Later. <laughs>